from the broken ruins of Babylon. This is End of Days Radio. I am your host, Daniel, broadcasting to you all the way from the shimmering Emerald City right here in the heart of the Pacific Northwest. Today's date is January 29th, 2020. Today's guest is Linda Godfrey. Author, investigator, and artist Linda Godfrey is the author of 18 published books on strange creatures, phenomena, and people. She's a frequent guest on national TV and radio shows, including the Wall Street Journal, Books Page, Chicago Tribune, Small Town Monsters, Legends, Secret TV Show, Dead Files, The Unexplained, In Search of Monsters, Monster Quest, Fox News, Red Eye, Lost Tapes, Monsters and Mysteries, Sean Hannity's America, Inside Edition, Coast to Coast AM, uh, WIS, Public Radio, The Jenny McCarthy Show. Hmm, you gotta find that tape. She lives in the Kettle Moraine area of Southeast Wisconsin with her husband and Monster, Do- Monster Dog Grendel. Love that name. Uh, so I'm gonna see if 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 uh, Linda is ready. So hopefully, I accidentally told her eight when we were supposed to start at seven because we usually start at eight. So I hope I didn't screw everything up, and I hope she didn't like jump out the door. So I'm just gonna send her a quick message. So I'm just uh, typing at her a little bit. I apologize for the delay. I do have plenty to talk about here, but I don't want to get flying on any topic until I can get Linda squared away here. I know she's a hugely popular guest on this show, so definitely want to talk to her. There is a lot going on in the news. Of course, later on we want to talk about Kobe Bryant, as well as... All the awards that Billie Eilish has won. Am I saying that right? Billie Eilish or is it Billie Eilish? I know a lot of people don't like when I talk pop culture or football or things that aren't super paranormal and interesting. But I like to kind of mix it up a little bit. Okay, so she's going to be back in a couple of minutes. So I'll give her a few minutes to set up and then I'll dial her up. Looks like we are on track. Uh, So, (laughs) I'll start talking about this, but it's really later. I want to get into this because I'm only going to have a few minutes here. Um, First off, shout out to all the people in the chat. Looks like we got Alan there, uh, Placebo Rock, Julie Sunshine, Andy Cruz, David Edwards. We got a, a Dragon Ball fan in there, first son of a Super Saiyan. So, shout out to you guys. Thank you for being a part of the live show, the live program. I apologize for gaining weight. I know I'm a little bit chubbier than I was before. Also, the way I'm displaying the image, it like stretches me out. So I actually look fatter than I am, which is cool because I also look kind of buffer and more intimidating. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. But uh, hey, the thing I want to talk about was Eminem. So... I know I talk about this all the time. I I talk about Eminem a lot for some reason on Twitter and on the show. And part of that is probably because he was so huge when I was younger. Like when I was of that age, like the age when people really listen to music, like high school age. Oh man, I was super into Eminem. Everybody was. 
like it was kind of embarrassing to be too into Eminem. Like if you were listening to his CD nonstop, like a year after that CD came out, people would kind of think you were lame. But when this when this CD first dropped, everybody would be listening to it, and you were cool, right? Now I go back and I listen to a lot of that stuff, and I'm like, wow, that's awful. Wow, why would he do that to Kim? Oh my God, is he really saying these things? Uh, but you know, it's still good music. See, it still carries a tune. It sounds good. Uh, it's innovative. It sounds hip. It sounds you know, it sounds good. But I was listening to some of Eminem's newer stuff, and I just don't know if he's really got it anymore. I know he's really one of the best ever, but you have so many of these guys like uh, Kurt Cobain or Bruce Lee, guys or Jimi Hendrix, guys that died before they could start going to crap. You know what I'm saying? Like even the Beatles, they sort of broke up before things could really start to go downhill. So all we saw was the good stuff. But with Eminem, he's getting older and he's still releasing stuff and it's kind of it's kind of falling off a little bit. But hey, I'll, I will get to that later or maybe I'll get to more of it now. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and dial up Linda and see if we can't get her on the line. Okay, so she's probably still uh, stepped out. I don't think she smokes, so she could be doing a million different things, including taking Grendel for a quick wee. We've had so many great shows with Linda. It's like I kind of want to go into that a little bit just because she's been on this program so many times and it just about always seems to work out with her. Um, probably one of my favorite Linda Godfrey moments is I did a Halloween show with her a couple years ago and I asked her what her favorite like scary sort of story was involving werewolves or cryptids and stuff like that and she told me the story about the family that was they're in their house they lived on a farm and somehow these seven foot tall werewolves were walking around their yard and they end up kind of like surrounding the house and then later on taking over the barn just these tall black like dogman creatures and that's not entirely unheard of. Like We learned from Linda that walking dogs, werewolves, upright canines, and stuff like that, that's par for the course. Oh, here she is. Okay, so we can talk about that a little bit later. Hello. Hi, there you are. Can you hear me? Can... Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, you sound good. Okay, yeah, you do too. No echo, nothing. Great. I was just... Uh... For a few minutes, I was talking a little bit about some of our past shows together, and I was talking about that story that you told me, I think it was a couple years ago, of the the uh, the seven-foot-tall werewolves that uh, took over the people's barn. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's like, that's like one of my favorite, uh, favorite scary stories in general, and definitely probably uh, my top three or top five Linda Godfrey moments. <laughs> Oh well, I didn't know you were keeping track, but that's that's very nice of you. And yeah, there are there are some really creepy creepy stories like that. I got one in just recently, hoping to to publish one place or the other. So. Oh, you got a you got another one coming out soon. Um, 
Well, I'm, I may sometimes I put them in my blog, and sometimes you know if they fit with the theme of my my book that I'm working on, I will use them in the book. And then the pub, in that case, the publisher always likes me to kind of hold them till the book comes out, so that the entire contents of the book aren't known ahead. That's what publishers are great, but there's always a, a different sort of rules to go by if if you're going with a with a publisher. Yeah, you like to blog so, too. So your your blog is actually really good compared to some other people's blogs where they hardly ever touch it. You actually add content to it quite often. I yeah, I do try. And it is hard for me and I actually I've been having a little bit difficulty lately. I have things I want to get on there and just haven't been able to. And I've also meant to put my um schedule on that's upcoming, but it's sort of in flux for the the coming spring and, and summer and fall months, um, it's, it's a little bit heavy duty. So I'm, I, I hate to put information up and then have to change it because some people just see the first one and then never go back and look at it again. But I do try to have some good content for people. And it does go way back, you know, probably um, 20 years I started that blog. And actually it was before then in another um, form. So... Uh, yeah, so I, I I try to have content for people, and I have resisted. I I have constant pleas to do, to do something to monetize it. You know, people want to go in with me. They've asked me to uh, do this and that, but it's just not what I wanted to do. It it's not my my whole purpose in beginning this entire thing was just to let people know other people were seeing these things, not just one or two, but lots of them all over the place because it's just. I still don't think it's general knowledge. It's a little better, maybe a lot better than it was since all of the the uh, podcasts and blogs and other things have just kind of exploded and people are much more interested. But it's still very much a niche sort of thing, you know, and it's not like I get recognized in airports. Well, I think I did once in one airport. But, but you know, it, it still allows me to live my life in relative obscurity, which is kind of nice. I probably wouldn't recognize you if I just saw you, but if you were standing next to me and you started talking, I'd probably turn around and start trying to interview or something. <laughs> because my, you'd recognize me by, by my voice, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, very distinct voice. I think this is like our fourth interview, so um, sometimes I have your voice in my head because of that. That's creepy. <laughs> um, but Not it, intentional. <laughs> It sounds like uh, this is your newest book. I know what I saw. Do I have that right? Yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Uh, looks like there's an interesting guy on the cover. There is that. Um, who who is that? I don't think that's a Jersey Devil, is it? No, no. I I don't think it's anything in particular. I believe that it's one of those. I I haven't actually asked them. I keep meaning to. I believe that it's one of those older, like 18th, 19th century engraving that. Um, there's a whole, a whole lot of art like that that's old enough that it's in the public domain except um, certain companies buy it up and then they have copy books that you can just, you know, one says, please, please copy this book. And I think it's, I think it's a drawing that I've seen in one of those that they, that they used in that. I, I'm, I'm not thinking it's an original. And I was so sure that I never even asked them actually. I should, I should do that and find out once and for all. But, but that's, yeah, it's, it's if you look at that thing, it's really neither here nor there. And if they did just find it, it's a pretty good illustration because it, you know, it just represents all the 
the five main um, scary groups of the monster, you know, and the different things. Because you notice it, it doesn't, uh, it's got this little skinny tail, it's standing up, it's got claws, it does have sort of a kangarooish head, but then it's got goaty ears, and it's got a pot belly and fur on the back and nothing else. So, you know, it's just one of those odd things. I've never actually had anybody describe anything exactly like this thing that's on the front of my book, but um, you never know. There's a, a new weird thing every day, just about. Uh, I like the title. It really, it's a good title because it makes you think of all those stories you hear when somebody has something to say and, and they say, oh, you were drunk or you were seeing things or it was a, it was a bear, it wasn't Bigfoot or uh, swamp gas, et cetera, et cetera, a million different excuses. And then the person will say, I know what I saw. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I've had, I have people that I've quoted in this book saying that, and it's entirely spontaneous on their part. And um, I don't know if, if you knew, um, my husband and my son, who's a filmmaker, and I have made a very, very modest price, modestly priced documentary. Oh, you're kidding um, me. And there, no, nope, nope. It's my, my son has a film degree from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And um, we happen to have him around in the, he's, he's in Milwaukee, not that far from us, and uh, had some time. And I wanted to do this project, not because of him, although it's, it's a nice uh, thing to add to his resume, but because I found out about five years ago, and there are two full chapters on this that I'm talking about right now, two full chapters in the book, and that was kind of what got me going. About five years ago, a newspaper journalist and editor from central Wisconsin started writing me about all of the sightings that people were seeing of Black Panthers in and around this little town. It's called Hillsboro. It's right, right about in the middle of Wisconsin, kind of not down south, not up north, in between. And it's the place that the glacier missed. So it's called the Driftless Area because nothing drifted there. And it looks just like you'd swear you were somewhere in Colorado. It has all these table mesas and cliffs and deep valleys. It, it's not at all what you'd think of as Wisconsin. But in the past several decades, he had been keeping track of people who called him with cougar reports. And he had over well over 150 reports that he had gone and interviewed people, not just I heard this or somebody heard that. It was, you know, right, right, uh, uh, just very complete interviews with people, which he would go and meet them. And he knows most of the people in that town anyway because he's lived there all his life. And it finally started stunning me because he was up to like 150 reports, over 150, probably more like 180. And over half of them were Black Panthers. The rest were the regular tan cougars. But people were seeing a tan cougar and a Black Panther together or one with kittens of, of uh, both colors. And they're not supposed to exist. The Black so-called panther, there isn't supposed to be such a thing as a Black Panther because uh, at least not if it's uh, in mountain lion, mountain lion territory because they are, according to science, unable to breed. Um, however, um, there's a theory that perhaps they're coming from um, matings of black jaguars and black leopards, which habitually have been down in the lower part of uh, North South America, but have been kind of gathered. It's kind of like all the um, a lot of a lot of the big cats in this in the Western Hemisphere got rounded up around the turn of last century and just annihilated, basically. 
but there have been some havens down in southwestern United States and Texas and Florida. And um, we're thinking maybe somehow they started coming back and the jaguars, maybe the leopards, are mating with the mountain lions um, who probably don't really don't have enough females to mate with or, or males, whichever. And um, that's that's the theory that this Stephen Stanick is his name and, and I have. But you know what? The, resor- the natural resources people and the local sheriffs and those sorts of people declare that none of them exist. So you've got them telling people, and this is a this is in the film. You know, we we talk to all these really great people who live there, and they say it tried to tell he tried to tell me I saw a house cat. You know, I know a house cat when I see one. Or you tried to tell me it was nothing; it was a dog. That's what you hear. And then at the end, they'll say, "I know what I saw." And some of these people, these witnesses, are retired sheriff's deputies and rangers and people like that who know the outdoors, know the animals. And um, everybody is still puzzled as to why there are black ones. That's not supposed to be. But imagine, an, it's about an 18-mile radius from Hillsborough. And there's lots of other woo-woo stuff around there that um, makes it seem like just one of those places. For instance, just east of the town is a 20-mile-long ridge of this very, very ancient rose quart, rose pink quartz. Um, some of it's called, there's a couple of different shades of that pinkish reddish. There's one called rhyolite and another one I can't think of it. But these entire ridges are filled up with, with this stuff, which is some of the oldest, I don't want to say dirt, but the oldest earth material on earth. You know, when, when the land was being formed, that thing was there. So that's unusual. And when you get huge deposits of a quartz-like substance, you know, that's, quartz is what we use for communications in so many ways, and has been known to, um, at, at times, adversely affect airplanes and, and other things that are flying, and, and uh, you know, either the quartz gets them out of, out of whack or whatever. So you have this huge population, way too big for the little population of the town, of these mountain lions and black panthers. You've got this quartz stuff. There are also, and this is in the book but not in the in the film, there is also a section on very odd, deadly airplane crashes right over Hillsborough when there was no flight path. They weren't supposed to be there, and yet they were there and crashed. Um, all kinds of things like that. So it, it's really fascinating. But, yeah, the, the film came out. Um, we're really happy with it. It's about an hour. It's going to have its first public full screening at the, get this, the Midwest Weird Fest Film Festival in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is uh, a film fest that's been, been growing quite nicely. And um, our film, which is called uh, Return to Wildcat Mountain, that's the real name of the mountain that's right there, too, which is another one of the oddities. Um, Return to Wildcat Mountain. And if people can just flip into YouTube, it's also on uh, my um, uh, webpage, but if you flip into, into YouTube and just do a quick search on um Return to Wildcat Mountain, and you can find a two-and-a-half-minute trailer there to get some idea. So that's that's really... And the thing was, I actually, over the past year, I'd been interviewed for four or five different um, standalone TV series episodes, and I was really thinking that these people there should be heard, and I, I wanted that. I didn't really have 
a great means myself to do it. And so I was telling these producers about it, showing it to them. And to my great disbelief, they, they just weren't interested in doing it. If it wasn't a Bigfoot or a werewolf, they you know just weren't going to do it. And that was when um, it just so happened. I hope I'm not boring you with this this, this long expo- exposition, but it's sort of cool um, and, and sad. Right at that time, um, the same time I was having all these things shot, my only uncle who grew up in Hillsboro, or right next to Hillsboro, I should say, he and, he and my mother grew up right next to Hillsboro, passed away. He was a World War II hero who worked on um, large uh, machine repair and actually invented something to help the timing of the Berlin airlift to get things loaded quicker and got accommodation. Well, he passed away um, about the age of 90 unexpectedly. And, well, I guess nothing's too unexpected when you're 90, but, you know, we we weren't expecting it right then, and left each of me and each of my six younger brothers and sisters a, a modest sum. And it just dawned on me out of nowhere that, hey, I could make a very small, very you know shoestring budget movie with this. I could show that myself. And so um, you know, my my son was all wait. I I didn't think my husband was going to go for it, but they both you know he was he just said yeah, let's make a movie. So I thought when I heard that, I I knew that the hand of God had been upon the whole thing, <laughs> because you know I just I didn't expect that he was going to be that happy about it, but he was. So we uh, we got the camera and what we needed and started driving to Hillsboro every weekend, and tracking these people down and interviewing them. And we found out there's a lot of Native American lore. We've got some uh, Native American speaker that explains this sort of thing. And how the mountain lion and other of the large cats um, fit into the, the society of the natives who were here a long time before um, any European people were. So did they um, have so any? They, did did they have any um, any like talk about the black ones? Yes. Yes. Oh, cool. And in fact, yeah. What well, that was their main focus, and in fact. From a couple of different sources, you know, and I've got both of these two sources in here, in there, unknowns to one another, saying the same thing, that um, one one was a Native American himself. One just, um, you know, hung out with a lot of them. And they both said that the the regular tan ones are pretty much usually going to be just natural animals. Very elusive and kind of spooky animals, but natural. But the black ones... Um, can be you can be looking at them and you're actually looking at a spirit animal that can go back and forth between our world and the spirit world and that they were earthly representatives of what they called the great water panther the great water panther was a very um, over life-sized creature kind of in their pantheon that helped battle do battle with the thunderbirds to keep the energy balance between earth and sky and water all in a good equilibrium equilibrium, so that um, they wouldn't have terrible weather or plagues or other things occur to them. It was sort of, it was something that uh, was very sacred to them to keep their land as it should be and in balance. And as they, they felt that they were meant to be there to honor these creatures and to kind of um, help them along too. And you'll, you'll see the evidence of this is in the many ancient animal effigy mounds in southern Wisconsin. Southern Wisconsin, from and that starts right about where um, Hillsboro and Baraboo Hills, there's another 
uh, nearby place. Starts right about where they are. Has the I think it's ninety six percent of all the animal shaped ancient effigy mounds. Effigy mounds just means they take the shape of animals, um, and some are burial mounds, some are not. Um, but they were just when when the first settlers came, this whole area of southern Wisconsin was just loaded with these. They were at every possible water source. That's where most of them were found, and especially the water panthers. And they would be laid out so that these um, these they were like maybe three foot high mounds in in these very stylized shapes. But you'd see like three water panthers in line marching down to the banks of a river or a lake or something like that. So they were they weren't just willy nilly. They were placed around south, southern and southeastern Wisconsin to form sacred formations. And uh, as, the, wherever the water was, usually the creatures would be coming down to it. You'd see um, there were some huge thunderbirds. I think there was one 190 feet wide w- with a wingspan in Madison that is partially still there. And it's aimed right at one of the Madison's five lakes. Like it's going to, you know, run into the lake and, and take off. And that area of the state is also adjacent to the Mississippi River where there are lots of cliffs and um, updrafts that could support large birds. And I've had large bird reports. And I'm talking about, um, mo- for the most part, I had one Batman type of thing. But for the most part, the other other ones are more like crane-like beings, you know, and they're they're part of this whole deal. And um, I've also heard from some of those same sources that if you see one of the white crane-like birds with the twenty wide, twenty foot wide uh, wingspan as they have, um, you'll really be blessed because that's something that's amazing and they don't show themselves to everyone so there's a whole body of lore there you know and there there are more too you know that's just kind of the surface touching the surface of it but it was um they say that when the settlers came this part of the country looked this especially southern wisconsin looked like a big park with these sculptures all over it and trees and the the woods were were regularly burned to get the undergrowth out and they said it looked just like walking through a big sculpture park somewhere, you know, in, in Europe. It was that well kept. It's hard for our minds to imagine that now because most of our woods are just completely grown up with tangles and weeds and um, plants introduced from other countries that become, you know, just terrible pests to to our land. But then it was quite a different thing. And so now these animals are coming back and everybody knows it. And it just will not be officially acknowledged. So that's that's why I did this. And that's what's so sad when I hear about like fish populations dying and stuff like that. I'm afraid things are going to die before we even discover that they're there. Well, that's true. You know, I I heard a really amazing um, fact just on, on one of those one of the History Channel animal shows the other night. I was just kind of passing through. And it was something like um, the rainforests of Brazil have um, a fairly small percentage of the world's total plant coverage, but but then it was a huge percentage the other way of the types of, we don't know, we have no idea what's in that rainforest. The rainforests are really where so much um, medicine comes from and all kinds of uh, plants that, 
we, you know, people have said, well, there's probably a cure for cancer, a cure for just about anything you want sitting there in these plants because most of our medicines are derived from plants. And there is just this horrible um, burning going on down in, in the rainforest so that um, landowners can do other things with it. And it, it that's, it's really sickening. It is. And we kind of. And that's exactly what happened with. Uh you know, the Midwest, where the yes. Native Americans were driven off their lands, their culture was, was torn apart, all of their stuff was passed down orally. So if, if the elders die of disease or if they're murdered, then they can't pass that knowledge on. Who knows what type of culture or knowledge of these lands that we may have lost just because we couldn't treat the Native peoples with any sort of human respect. Right, yeah. It's just, it's a tragedy, you know, and I think it's something that people are just recently owning up to and seeing that, um, you know, there are really two coins to all of our history. And, uh, you know, you can't blame the people who were there and enacted it at the time so much because they were ignorant of a lot. People had their own cultures that they were coming from, but it turned out to be a bad a bad combination for a lot of things, unfortunately. But it was going to happen, I guess. And I don't mean to be in defense of either one. It's just... It's what happened, and we, we need to figure out how to fix it and, and move on. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, another thing was that there were bigger animals back then, like huge bears and, and wolves and, and things that would probably be monsters if we saw them today. A lot, a lot of the times we just have little pygmy dwarf versions of the animals that existed back in the 1800s, which were just massive. That's true. Well, and if you go back farther, you know, you've got the cave bears that were double like the size of bears that we have today. And um, the, the saber-toothed cats, they were giant. Um, and then you also get to, um, well, just, yeah, just about any animal had, had its larger version then. And, the, well, the, the big woolly mammoths, you know, compared to today's elephants, the mammoths were, were important. And it was just, it was a different ecosystem. And the native peoples, they seem to have their own understanding of things where we look at things and we try to classify them and we have a very nuts and bolts way of understanding things. They have a much more spiritual way of looking at things. And that's what I was kind of thinking of when you were talking about those, uh, um, you know, those statues and things like that. They probably just saw everything totally different than us. Yeah, they did. You know, I've, I've heard that. And I've tried to capture, you know, in just with short quotes um, in, in some of my books, that how different their way of, of looking at things is. My favorite illustration of that is um, some people who've been allowed to be in the, the cultural tents with storytelling time, which are very sacred times, where the, the Native people get together and they try to preserve those ancestral uh, culture stories by telling them to one another and to them you know we think of telling a story as oh there's something you know in, either in my mind or in a book and and I either read it out loud or I just try and tell what these people did they believe their stories their cultural stories are real living things in their own right you know and for instance one of them one of them said something like well I and my story were walking along and my story saw this and this then you know we so my story decided to do this and talks about the you know the we think of the story as just being kind of the the um, dry bones or the platform for the 
the information. But they think of the story as another creature, another living being that inhabits and also creates and contributes to these stories. And that's so that's so far from our rational Western minds. Was the Thunderbird an actual bird that was flying around with them alongside the Black Panthers? Well, if what I've been told, and of course not every Native American um, people is the same as, as uh, the next one. You know, they have they have some differences too, but in general what I've been told is that those big white birds um, are spirit, when they say something's a spirit animal, they mean it can go back and forth. It's not like we think of a ghost that's here somehow, we just don't always see it. The spirit animal can go back and forth from our world to the spirit world and back. And the first time I heard that was about the upright canines um, because they are supposed to be spirit animals. And and I've been told that the, the uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot is too. And they point to things like, well, so many people have seen tracks. They're following these big, strange, unknown tracks. And all of a sudden they stop. There's just nothing there. And I've heard the most seasoned woodsmen tell this, you know, and they st- it's so hard to wrap your head around. And their idea is that either it's um, one of the portals to the spirit world or sometimes they have the um, ability, the, the animals, the spirit animals, can decide not to show themselves. And they just need a minute and then they kind of blend in with the background and you can't see that they're there. Yeah, that's uh, something that happens quite a bit to Bigfoot hunters. They end up in some kind of weird right. world of, of the Bigfoot starts talking in their head and disappearing and reappearing and all kinds of crazy woo stuff starts happening when you go looking for a Sasquatch. Yeah, there's that, there, There's always this sort of psychological component, which, um, you know, like I always like to say, take the, the dogman or the upright canines. It's not paranormal or supernatural for any mammal to walk on its hind legs. You know, it's it's just that it they don't usually unless they have hurt forelimbs or there's some reason maybe they've been uh, in a zoo where they were trained to, you know, some something like that. But what what freaks people out when they see them is not just that they're running on their hind legs like a like a human would, but that they don't act the same as a normal wild animal. A normal wild animal kind of will make up its mind and, it, you know, it will either chase you and want to eat you or just run off itself and do something else. These things will, almost without exception, run off into the woods or the lake or whatever is there. But first, they look the people over. They, it's like they're testing them sort of. It's People will say, well, you know, I thought it was saying to me in my mind, not like telepathy, but just a knowing that if it wanted to, it could jump on my car or that I should go away and never tell anyone I saw it. And if I told, they would come and get me. You know, that kind of thing, sort of threatening. And it to me it sounds it and seems like very territorial action, like they have their places staked out and they don't want too much human traffic in one in those areas because they, they have their own agendas, whatever those are. I don't really know if anyone has any idea exactly. But... Normally, those animals will do that. They'll they'll uh, get close to you. Some seem like they're just trying to scare you. Others, 
you know, like um, I have a story of a man who saw one of those big, huge, beautiful white cranes, and you're just drawn to them, you know, and people will probably get too close, and then it'll just flap, flap its wings and fly off somewhere. But I started out, um, not not this current book, but a couple books ago, American Monsters, with um, a, a third of the book on flying things. And the, fir- the very first story was up there in northern, on the western side of Wisconsin, but farther north. But this was one of the best and most perfect big bird say- sightings that I've ever heard of. And he was a, a, a businessman. He was vacationing in kind of an affluent uh, little vacation community. They had their own airport and that kind of thing with his wife's family who owned, owned a, a dwelling there. And he'd gotten up early to ride his bike. And this guy was like six foot two or three, you know, he's a big guy. He's riding his bike. And he looks over in the meadow where he's riding and sees this enormous kind of silvery colored bird. And he said he'd never seen anything that big. And it was it just entranced him. And he said he, he just stopped his bike and kind of threw the bike on the floor, on the ground, and started walking toward this bird. And it was just like, it was like a kid seeing something at Disneyland for the first time. And then he got into the, about the middle of the meadow, and he still wasn't quite to it, but he was seeing how big it really was when he got closer. And it occurred to him that perhaps this was a setting hen of some sort and that he was sneaking up on her and a nest, which would have put him in big trouble because, you know, he said it was big enough that the beak could have hurt him a lot had she chosen to attack him. So he stopped there, and that's kind of when she became or he became aware of uh, the man standing there and started to try to take off. And he said watching it was... um, fascinated because it was so big that it couldn't get the lift under its wings very it was running and trying to get the lift under the wings and finally it it jumped and and got up but it couldn't fly more than it couldn't get higher than like six or eight feet off the road so it was kind of following this narrow asphalt road um down around a bend and he just watched it as it went out of sight that way and he was really excited too because he thought well if he went to the little airport they would have recorded that. It, it would certainly have shown up on the radar, something that big, you know, and flying around in, right in that area. But guess what? It did not show up at all. And there was no reason it shouldn't have. So, but the, 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 I'll just say one more thing real quick. The reason this was such a dynamite sighting is because it had the elements. You don't usually get all in one in one shot. It had the most most big bird sightings see them in the sky and there's nothing to compare the size to. He could see this thing um, where it was. And not only that, he, when it took down the road, it was um, he could see that its wingtips touched on either side of the road. And when I went there and met him to uh, interview him, I had my tape measure, and it was 22 feet across the road. And he saw the wingtips touching each side of the road together. So... So he had the, uh, he was able to put it in place with something comparable to really know how big it was. He ha- it was daylight. He was close to it. You know, it was all the good things that you never usually get in a report. Yeah, that so, sounds just about just about the right size as that uh, old photo that used to pass around. You know, like ten, twenty years ago of the. I think they're either Native Americans or cowboys holding the Thunderbird. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen one. Oh yeah, that was really making the rounds about probably starting 15 years ago. And, yeah. Um, 
there was an argument because some people were saying it was published in a men's magazine and others were saying they saw it somewhere else. I remembered seeing it somewhere and couldn't find That was the thing. Everybody could remember seeing it and the, the scenes were different. It was like somebody had photoshopped out the background of, of one of the pictures and then paint, kind of put the other one in with it. But they shouldn't have been able to do that when these things were being taken. So nothing about it really made sense. But yeah, that's how big the whatever it was in that in that photo was. Yeah, that's something that that they'll do. They'll kind of like if there's some evidence of something, they'll uh, you know add that little cherry on top to make it seem like it's fake because uh, the museums and the academics they have a vested interest in, in pushing the um, you know the theories and the ideas and the the history and the science that they want us to know as opposed to what really happened back then, which might have been more like Lord of the Rings than <laughs> anything we see in any of our science books. Yeah, we'll never know. It's it's uh, and then you wonder if some some of the, especially the later fiction that that has come out, how it reflects upon some of these. For instance, the dire wolves in Game of Thrones. Mm. You know, people have have asked me about those, and and there's a lot of thought about them. And really, they're extinct supposedly, although they were once closely packed all over Canada and North America. I mean, they were, were they were a really large population. And there are thousands of them, several thousand of very well-preserved um, skeletons of them um, in Southern California, where there was a large concentration. And the, the other thing is that they, they weren't really as large in real life, and we know very well how, how large they, they measured, as the, or the dire wolves that were shown in Game of Thrones, who were you know really, truly giant dogs. But they did resemble the Game of Thrones animals in that they had um, kind of very wide angular jaws and very strong, sturdy, sharp teeth for chomping bones and shredding bone and that kind of thing. And it's interesting because most of the upright canines, large percent, look just like a regular timber wolf, maybe a little muscle-bound muscle, muscle bound tinder wolf, timber wolf or German shepherd type of dog. Mm. And Normally they're they're um, they're they're fairly large, you know, but they're not huge like you would imagine the dire wolves being. But then there's another subset, and I, this is something that's new in this book that I haven't really talked about too much because I didn't know I didn't know what to say about them, and they they uh, did not usually walk upright. So I thought, well, they're not walking upright; they just look kind of strange. So I don't know how I can call them a dog man. And then I realized when I started looking at my research for this book that I had a, a file folder that was getting pretty fat with the reports. And these started right away back in 91, 92 when the very first dogmen things came in. People were calling me about other strange animals. And I started getting stories from people who say, well, you know, I saw this thing. Either it was on all fours or it wasn't on, on its hind legs very long, but they said, it looked a, a little bit more like a dog than a wolf. It had, you know, slightly flappy ears, and one of them would have a shorter snout on it. But then the amazing thing was they would have these same wide kind of jug heads with uh, the, the amazing array of teeth, and they were um, all over bigger and stockier than our timber wolves today, definitely, and perhaps even some of the dire wolves. And the thing is, 
the way that they interact with people is usually not standing and staring them down in the eyeballs. They'll instead they'll chase their car and try and run it off the road. I've had one where they did they did actually get the car down into a ditch, but it was um, able to get back out luckily because they don't know what it would have happened. But I, <laughs> that would be scary. I, I, yeah, <laughs> a yeah. giant I I dog see. chasing after your automobile and keeping pace with you. <laughs> Yeah, and they would almost without fail say two things. One was that um, they would say its shoulders, not its head, but its shoulders would be even with the bottom window of the of the driver's side, the bottom of your driver's side window, which is usually about 36 inches. So the shoulders are at least 36 inches off the ground. And and this is consistent over report after report after report from all all over different places. And then the other thing was that um, not only were the shoulders huge. So this is more than two or three. There's a lot of people reporting yes. this. Wow, wow, that is yes. Wow. I just I just didn't know how to categorize. You know, when you're totally. I mean, there was nothing laid out for me to study the dog man. People were not interested in them. Nobody else was paying much attention to them. Unless they were like the black phantom dogs of Europe, you know, but in most people were just pretty much fixed on Bigfoot, and I didn't I didn't have a lot to go on. So anything that was really different from um, the categories I was trying to separate out, I would put aside and try and figure it out separately. And when I really looked at this, I thought it was amazing because it wasn't something that had just sprung up in people's response to, to the uh, upright canines. It was something that was being reported to me as always, as having been there, you know, by the time that thing that whole thing happened in ninety one, ninety two. So they'd they'd been around a lot. They had this different appearance and um and the different the different set very muscular and kind of a different a different behavior set, you know, than the other things. And so I thought, well, I would just call them dire dogs. And they were bigger than the actual dire wolves. Actually, and, oh, the other thing that people say without fail, I was going to mention this. When they're trying to describe the size of, of the the size of these things, they'll say, "Well, it was the size of a pony, or the size of a bull calf, or the size of a miniature horse." Now that's bigger than even the big mastiffs, you know, the the hugest dogs that we know of, and that that's when I knew they were they were really something different. And I, I'm kind of waiting for this information to kind of soak into people. I haven't heard too much, as much quite as much feedback on it as I thought I, I would. But, yeah, that's a pretty was. big one. That's right there with the uh, megalodon shark. I mean, uh, a dog that size is very dangerous to anybody that comes across yeah. it for sure. And you know, and people say, well, why don't you find dead ones? And I have had people who thought they did see a dead one. You know, and what I first have to say is, well, you can't call it a dog man if it's just dead and it's lying there, because you don't know if it even walked upright or, you know, if it looked any different, a, a vet or somebody would probably just say, well, there's a big dead dog. And I've had some people find one that was almost as, as wide across as one of those um, 15, 20-foot um, country roads lying from with his toes on one side and the end of the other legs on the other. So, so I mean, these are very big things, you know, and they, they try to, in sometimes they'll just sit, one one I remember was a woman who was a school bus driver, um, I think in like Indiana, I'm not positive, or, or Kentucky, I can't remember right now, sorry. But 
she had luckily emptied out the school bus and she was driving up this hill taking the bus back to the lot wherever it was it was going and she saw this big thing that some people always describe it sitting in a field right next to the road and she said it was huge she did not know what it was because it looked like a dog or a wolf or something but it was too big and she said it just turned around and stared at her and it had these golden eyes that just sort of she said it was very um she was in like awe of it it was very regal in the way that it acted and it really it really fits very and she drew a sketch too and the the sketches are remarkably alike most of them seem to have long tails sort of like cougars but these aren't felines you know and, and they don't have um the the same type of tail but but these kind of skinny tails and sometimes you know like i said the the bigger uh the floppier ears or the short snout instead of the really long snouts and that the uh, dogmen are always said to have so there's something different and i think more reports will come in and people will start realizing that they're not they're not your normal and i say normal in quotes because you know nothing's normal about these any of these things but um they're just not the, the usual reports that you see yeah um i can personally attest to these animals and by animals i mean dogs and wolves canines in general they're very capable of surviving and doing interesting things we're we're actually seeing a little bit of a resurgence in our wolf populations here in washington state and i actually personally ran into a pack of them when i made the awful decision to go alone in the middle of the woods in the middle of the night i ended up hearing uh, oh, yeah, yeah I, I heard genuine wolf howls and i compared them to youtube they were not coyotes it was a genuine pack of wolves it was very exciting for me personally Well, you know, I just I just posted um there was a new report that wolf packs have just been found in Colorado and there haven't been packs of them supposedly for a long time. Maybe there have, but not any that would be admitted, you know, by by officials, but the officials are finally mentioning that yes, there are wolf packs in Colorado now. So all of these come things are coming eastward. And the wolves as they come eastward are meeting the coyotes and forming um coy wolves. which are kind of scary because they have both the the larger size of the wolf and the lack of fear of man from the coyotes that have been living off men's garbage. Yeah, they got that so they decades. got that hybrid vigor. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. And lots of times um hybrid animals um are are larger. If you put a liger, if you put a, a tiger and a lion together, you get what they call a liger. And I've seen a couple of these. The weird thing is they weigh like three times as much as a regular lion or tiger, like up to 1200 pounds, and their heads are huge for their bodies. Um there there's one I've got that I took my own pictures of. And we go through this in the film Return to Wildcat Mountain. Um there's a really well-informed zookeeper who has his own private Well, it's it's actually it's not a zoo, it's a a cat big cat rescue organization. And they have a liger there and they have a liger which is a a liger mating with a tiger which is not supposed to be possible. Hmm. But yet it happened. They're supposed to be sterile. A liger, just a liger is supposed to be sterile. But yeah, yet, that's right. That goes that goes against uh, everything that I was always told. That that does come to mind. That, I've always heard ligers are 100% sterile. Yes, but they've got the the, the young liger there, lie liger there to prove it's not true. 
So it's it's pretty interesting when you when you get into all of the the genetics too. That's that's another whole side of it because yeah. you know we have modern genetics to help with these things. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's just another another thing that you got in the documentary that flies in the face of our right. current scientific understanding, which is. How do we get access to this anyways? I know it's uh, going to be played at the festival, but how would we watch it? Yes. Um, well, we have – that will be our first main showing. And then we are in the process of um, going through and trying to figure out which streaming platforms to – it'll be it'll be streaming. And there is um, there is a website that you can go to, uh, Return to Wildcat Mountain, that we'll be updating, and it will be all over my blog, you know, the lindagodfrey.com blog, as soon as we have it ready to stream. And uh, we will be selling uh, DVDs of it, too. We've been trying to, we've been really trying to make up our minds, and maybe you maybe you want to add your input. We can't decide whether to make Blu-rays or DVDs. It's really tough to make that decision. Some people like one, some people like the other. And it is a fine quality filmmaking, which um, lends itself to the Blu-rays. There are a lot of of, uh, things you might not appreciate or see quite as well on the DVDs, but more people have DVD players, so we will be offering. I absolutely love Blu-rays, and they can be played like internationally. But it's my understanding that DVDs are just like infinitely cheaper to produce. So I don't really know. I guess you have to factor those things in. I think we're going to start with the DVDs, you know, mm. and we'll have those available. Um, those will be available for order online, probably with Amazon. And Amazon's probably one of the ones that we're aiming at for the streaming as well. So, and maybe we're, we're undecided about YouTube, but you can you can quickly see the two and a half minute trailer at YouTube again. Just uh, do the search for return. return um, now I'm getting into my my crazy part of the night. Return to Wildcat Mountain is all you need to put in, and it should bring it up. It's got quite a few views already. The that does, yeah. Actually, that um, the filming at just that little two and a half minute trailer um, already got my son some work with um, one of the major um, streaming platform channels. So, yeah, what a good if, idea on his part to get involved in movie making, considering his mom is involved in writing a, a great line of crypt, cryptozoology and mythic creatures books. I, that that seems like the perfect career path. Well, plus he already had the four year degree in filmmaking from the Art Institute, which um, he really had. He really hasn't. He's been doing other things, you know, and did some travel and and. Uh, stuff I you know I wouldn't presume to tell his story but um, he's never really had something and he's done a lot of kind of kind of uh, weird experimental short films like there's this one called sack full of quarters there's another one called dirty sweatpants party you know not the kind of thing that you're going to expect to sell much but he's learned a lot he's really learned his animation and you'll see he does all the animation that you'll see in the trailer and these other things and it's kind of amazing so you know, it was kind of crazy for us not to do it because we had him. He was available, and um, we knew that he could carry it off. I I had a vision for it. You know, I kind of shared my vision of how I wanted it to look. I wanted it to be just sort of a, a, a pure telling of their um, of what happened to them by by the people. Hear the people's voices, 
that's what we were going for. And and just the natural beauty of that driftless area, which wasn't hard to do either because the whole place is just amazing. And that's probably why these sort of topics like Sasquatch and cryptids in general, they lend so well to film because you get all that great cinematography and you really get that feeling like, hey, I'm headed into the forest. You get a lot more atmosphere than with other topics, I think. I, I think it's very appropriate for what you're doing. Right, and you sort of have to go out and do it. You know, you can't tell the whole story about the lions and tigers from your living room. You know, you, you have to, it gives you a logical reason to be out showing all that beautiful landscape and and uh, territory that we have. And I, and I think Midwestern, we tend to be kind of proud of what we have because so often we're referred to as the flyover zone. And it's like most people just don't even have the faintest clue of what any of these states are really like. But especially Wisconsin has huge because of, of what it is. But what goes along with that is wonderful habitat for animals. And what goes along with that is ha- yeah. wonderful habitat for anomalous animals. And we also have a huge UFO history. And, and I love that because so many young people, especially nowadays, they have this attitude like, oh, going in the woods or nature's boring or going out on a boat is boring. But every time I go out in the woods or go out on a boat or something, something exciting happens. It really it's anything but. When you go out into nature, you really are approaching an entire world of a fascinating mystery and something always seems to happen. I think smartphones and social media is boring. Going out, going out in the wild is what's fun. Right. And you know what? It's my personal opinion that electronic equipment deters sightings of things because I did have, I had over the course of one year in a certain area near the Kettle Moraine State Forest, um, I saw what I'm pretty sure was Bigfoot. It couldn't have been anything else three different times in three slightly different locations. And each time it was, it was daylight. I wasn't that far away. And it was sort of each time it was doing something different, but also each time I had just gone out to take a walk or I was driving by in a car. I wasn't hunting around through the woods with a gun, you know, or or any other sort of means of defense. I was just walking and happened to look and there it was, which is could be thought unusual, except you hear that a lot. People, people who um, are uh, said to be least likely to see a Bigfoot or a dog man or whatever are the big Bigfoot and dog man hunters, you know, and I know some who've been looking for many, many, many years and have never seen one. And it actually, it took me 20 years from the time that I wrote those first stories because they were just, I felt that people needed to know these things were there 20 years before I had those experiences with the Bigfoot. And I had another, I had another really kind of more, um, Oh, well, it was a much more frightening encounter than that, too, with the Bigfoot, which was when I really, really knew that they were real. And that, again, it was at the beginning of that 20 years after writing those things. But, And, again, it was one where I had just felt like going out for a walk. Luckily, I live near a state forest, and I had a lot of paths to choose. And um, it, it happened. If If you're interested in it, I won't go through the whole thing because it's pretty well outlined if you go to lindagodfrey.com there's no w's just lindagodfrey.com and then there's a little search box up on the front up on the top right and it just says bigfoot branch 
because I saw a 35-foot-long, 7-8-foot diameter, new, fresh, clean oak branch twisted in two motions, only maybe about 100 feet away from me, and thrown down 40 feet down into one of the, the kettle embankments, right in, right in front of me. Nothing on me to defend myself, <laughs> you know, but I, I don't know if it's that they can smell the electronics because, you know, the plastic, maybe guns have gun oil and things on them that probably smell quite different. Maybe they know very well after one or two observations what these objects are. Um, that's one one idea that I have about it because so often people are just driving or, or walking and that's when they have the experience. The idea that they might have human intelligence or even greater than human intelligence is a little bit spooky as well because uh, if they do have these cognitive skills, they're out there kind of avoiding us for a reason. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I, I personally believe, just from my own contacts with them, and well, in a lot of things that other people have written, but I really believe that the Sasquatch is... Um, like a subspecies of human or a different species of human. I think they're, they're very, very similar to human, much more so than, um, you know, and, and I, I don't, well, I won't get into all that. I'll just say I think that they're very close to human and that they probably are as intelligent as we are, except that it's a different intelligence. They need different things to be intelligent about if they're going to survive in woods and, um, just basically wilderness areas. And I think if you kind of study where they've, where they were originally seen, where most of them are seen and the, the big ones are out by you in Washington State. And I, I think they've been gradually, um, migrating eastward for millennia. And that as they've come toward the east and they've had less huge cats that, um, they've gradually grown a little bit smaller than the ones out on the Pacific coast. Not tiny, not, not like your little mini, mini squatches, but, but, um, you know, maybe six to eight feet instead of up to 15, 16 feet. Which is still big enough to scare most people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Imagine something, um, just say seven feet tall. You know, that's a full head taller than somebody we would think was really tall. Getting into the NBA player sizes, you know, in, in that case. But, um, and then imagine that they're much more muscular and filled out than we are and covered with fur, which mm. makes you look even bigger than anything covered with fur will look bigger than something not. So, yeah, they, they are very formidable, but they just, you know, if they don't use fire, if they don't make, um, machines as we think of them, they can put all their intelligence into developing other areas of the brain, perhaps that enable them to communicate over distances. Um, that might be one possible thing, and and developing their their range of uh, of uh, vocal communication. Yeah, when you think about it, like a chimpanzee, its arms look really skinny, but it actually is stronger than a you know a big three hundred pound bodybuilder. And when you imagine proportionately how much stronger a gorilla is than how much stronger a Bigfoot would be, you're talking about something with like superhuman strength, basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and in 
let's see, which book was it? My, I think my last one, Monsters Among Us. I was telling the story of a man who was taking a bike trail early in the morning along the lake just east of O'Hare Airport um, by Chicago. And he was walking along and decided to sit and take a rest. Actually, he had just gotten this new bike. He was like a teenager at the time. And he said something drew his attention across the river right there. And he saw a group of dark-furred beings, very large, kind of just moving around. They were taking leaves from a particular tree when he saw them. And he ended up, it turned out he had sat right in a patch of uh, flowers that he was allergic to, and they made him sneeze. And one of those creatures just started wading across the river, ended up having to swim a little bit, came all the way across the river, and this guy's trying to hide. He, he moved back into some other shrubbery, and the the creature, which he thinks from his description, and I think, I agree with him, was this huge Bigfoot. It, was, it began to pick up flat river rocks. If you ever tried to pick up a flat river rock that's like maybe two feet long, you know, they're like concrete or, or, or heavier. And it was lifting them over his, its head, he said, and then just slinging them toward in, in the guy's direction. And he, he felt he was being warned off, but it ended up actually following him all the way back to the parking lot. And uh, he could hear, he said he could hear it coming all the way. And it, he had a pretty long way to run, I guess. He couldn't, he was just holding his bike because he was afraid the bike would tip him over. And uh, he actually cried out to God to save him. And when he did that, the footsteps stopped. And you know what? I hear that story from many people in many different circumstances. And some will say it was God. Some some say they cried out to Jesus or other um, spiritual um, people or entities that they may, that anyone might have, depending on your culture and religion. And it seems to stop the chase. And he said he couldn't. He said it could have gone into the woods on one side, although he didn't hear it. It could have gone back into the river, but if it did, it didn't splash. And this was the by the time I talked to him, he was a retired math teacher from Chicago, very um, trustworthy sort of person, and in, you know, kind of just in his retirement years. But he said he just he wanted to get that off his chest. And you know, it is. I'll just say this real quick too. My last one, Monsters Among Us. One of the things I did with that was try and chart some of the elements of these different sightings. And, you know, especially if I knew the date and could really compare some things. And um, I did find out, I was trying to look for UFO reports at the same time near other uh, anomalous, anomalous animals were, were sighted. And at this sighting, that I think was earlier that same day or very close to it, there were two boys who lived, I think, a mile from where this happened, and they did have a really great UFO sighting that was recorded in one of the MUFON records um, where they saw uh, a UFO come, and come down and follow electric lines out of the city, like they were charging from them or something. Actually, I think it was just one UFO that was doing that, I should say they. So, yeah, so it's... It's interesting when you start trying to put the different things, behavior, cultural surroundings, uh, habitat, um, all these things together start giving you a little bit more of a 
picture. Otherwise, it is just like this wild zoo of things that people think are impossible, and yet everybody's seeing them. But sometimes when you start to really correlate things that, even things that don't make sense to you at the time, um, that's how I think we'll maybe have the best chance of learning anything about what all these creatures really are. You know, And more and more people are thinking they're all related, all part of some... Um, some particular spiritual scheme or place or whatever, more than we can know. Have you ever heard of anybody getting seriously injured or even killed by any of these creatures? Um, I've heard of it. I haven't had too many reports of it to myself. And this is, and I've had quite a few reports. If you think, you know, it's been, what, I'm going on um, 19 years, almost 20, 20 years of, no, 30, I'm sorry. 29, 29 to 30 years, um, if you go back to 91, 92. And in all that time, I've only had one person report personally to me that he had a, a severe injury. And he was in, it was in Quebec. I've told this one before. Somewhere on my, somewhere on my website is, is a picture of the scar that he, he sent me a photo of his scar. Um, he said he was walking on a trail, no gun, no anything, just, you know, a city guy out in the wilds of Quebec, trail hiking. And all of a sudden, this upright dog-like creature was standing right in front of him. And he said he kind of lunged and it to get out of the way, and it kind of lunged. He thought it was trying to go the other way, but it ended up, um, its mouth was partly open, and you could see its fangs, and its fangs, its fangs grazed his uh, side. And uh, he had to go and get stitches, and he told them a bear did it. Which, if anybody knows anything about bears, they probably wouldn't have believed him because it really just isn't bear behavior to skim something like that. If the bear got him, it would have just gotten him, you know. So uh, anyway, that was that was the main one that I've heard. Now there, uh, there was supposed to have been a terrible massacre of a family by a. I don't know, several, I'm not sure exactly how many upright dog or wolf-like creatures at a place called Land Between the Lakes, between Kentucky and Tennessee, several decades ago. And um, it's very much under contention. You know, there's there wasn't really any evidence, but then, of course, people say, well, they got rid of all the evidence, and then they just had a pact that no one would talk about it. With that kind of thing, it's, that's it could have happened. I can't say whether it did or not because I did, I did not um, examine any of the the site or the people or any any of those things myself. It's just you know second or third hand for me, so I I don't know. But you know there there are occasional stories and some people um, some people have the idea that there are just some that are rowdier, kind of meaner, more aggressive. Um, sub subspecies or whatever you might want to call them that are a little different. They're still the upright canines, but they they tend much more to be aggressive and, and are more likely to hurt people. So, and it's, it's interesting because since I started doing this, all these categories have popped up and uh, that are termed different types of dog man. And some may be. I think most of them probably are sort of unrelated to one another. Because there are also, um, this is something I've talked about in the last couple of books too, what people call shadow wolves. Mm. And 
and again, I've had these reports. I've got three different ones going out north of the Cattle Marine Forest. I've got one one up in the middle of the state. Um, none of these people know each other. Another one in Tennessee where a whole, a whole family, this is kind of a typical example, so I'll tell this. A whole family in Tennessee, they were a rural family. They had a vegetable garden, a small corn cornfield near the house. They were all out kind of doing their chores, and one of the kids yelled. It was a multi-generational family that lived there. One of the kids yelled, and they looked up, and the tree line to their property, something was standing there that looked like a gigantic black wolf, only, you know, like too big to be any kind of real real wolf. And they were just staring at it, and it, it kind of looked at them and then went trotting off through the cornfield and stopped and looked back. And when it looked back at them, there was no side to it. There was, it was two-dimensional. Like a shadow is two-dimensional, only the shadow was standing up and moving of its own volition. And people have seen, you'll see in hauntings and ghost story books, lots of times they'll talk about the shadow man or the hat man. They have the same thing. They're like two-dimensional uh, representations of creatures or people that, you know, to me it's some sort of energy mimic that is copying um, humans or animals in their shapes and the way they move, but they really aren't part of our world at all, or they'd be three-dimensional. Do you believe in so, demons and angels? I do, because I'm a Christian, and the Bible talks about them very vehemently. And uh, I, there's a lot that doesn't get taught in, in normal uh, church sermons that you hear, but... Um, a couple of years ago, I discovered books by Michael Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, and um, he comes from a Christian ba- Christian base, but he, at some point in his studies, he's a very thorough, well-known um, la- language specialist in, in all of the older um, Middle Eastern languages. And he noticed, but you don't even have to go to that to see it, he noticed that in the New Testament itself, Old Testament and New Testament, he treats them both, um, were these mentions of things that he really hadn't ever heard before. And when I went and looked at them, I realized they were always there, and I had just glossed over them too. And you know, and he said most people will just sort of gloss over them because they're hard to understand if you're not looking at it from the point of view of the people of those days, and then you see it. But it's very clear that there are angels, that there are um, types of demons, giants that come from the mating of divine council members that were sent. And this is all I'm quoting almost verbatim in many ways from, right from the Bible. You don't have to stretch it or use put anything else in there at all, just the stories. And it starts with Genesis. It makes Genesis much more interesting. So um, I do believe there are these things. And I often do wonder if um, there there are what they call fallen angels, you know, that uh, fell fell out of grace and ended up being, um, you know, bar, barred from their their formal former divine homes, and that uh, all, partly some of them were mating with uh, human women, which is supposed to be um, verboten, and that was their dove. So I mean, there's all this. Sort they of thing they would I, certainly I, have some of that hybrid vigor. Right, exactly, and that's where the the giants would come from. And um, many of the divine creatures, if they 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 couldn't really die, so the, 
because they were made to be immortal. And they, once you have immortality, you can't really take it completely. So they would then use their put their spirits in other uh, creatures like animals, perhaps wolf-like creatures, perhaps um, things that look like giant apes that you know were just a little bit different. And it certainly would explain a lot. You know, it really would. And I'm not saying this is what I think all of them are. I think a lot of them do seem to be real natural animals. My Native Americans friends say, well, they can do that anytime they want to and then go back to the spirit type, back and forth. You know, that's part of part of who and what they are. So, and I just, I have to end up always with, I, I can't say for sure. I don't know well, for that, sure. Well, that would make sense because but, if they are uh, hybrids, like you're saying, then just like you said, they would be able to jump between like a spiritual existence and maybe a physical one. Well, it fits, you know. It all fits together. And I've always said from the very first, way back when, that of all the um, theories that I've come across, that Native American paradigm does fit everything the best. And you can you can take things from the Bible. And, and I mean, I, I appreciate my, my Bible stories more than ever before because I see so much now in them that I realized I was glossing over because just because it seemed silly or I didn't understand it. Nothing in the Bible is silly or understandable, un- ununderstandable, if you attack it the right way. So, um, and yeah, and so some of those, some of those divine angels would end up going in, you can imagine if they went into like a, um, I don't know if they had wolves there in, in those ages, but certainly other places, who knows? It's, uh, I, I, I would like to know, maybe someday I will, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool because your research almost starts to verge into that, uh, Anunnaki, Nephilim, sort of ancient alien sort of stuff, which is which is really cool for me because you know I, I have a lot of different guests on my show, and it's cool when the dots sort of connect. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, you know, and many people, many many people, you and Merritt the other ones have made that connection. I get a lot of mail asking me if I know anything about that, but um, yeah, and I can I can recommend Michael Heiser's books. He's uh, one is called. Supernatural, I think, and uh, he's got. I can't. I, I'm sorry. I just cannot think of the titles of the books right now. But you find them easily on Am, on Amazon. It's H E I S E R. Michael Heiser. He has a, a kind of a neat little podcast too. And uh, it's my understanding you've also been looking into a lake monster. Um, well, I have. You know, for different. I, I wrote a book called. Um, Lake and Sea Monsters for a New York publisher. And they show up, you know, I, I also did, uh, I co-authored the Weird Wisconsin book and then um, followed up with one called Strange Wisconsin with another publisher. And then I authored the uh, Weird Michigan, likewise Weird Michigan and Strange Michigan. And all of those books have very strong components of sea and lake monsters. So you're quite well versed in that case. So, well, I've I've uh, I've done a lot of research. I've I've looked at them. Um, you know, I I like them. I mean, I I think they're fascinated fascinating to study. And my own theory, and I think more and more people are coming to this. I think they've started finding scientific evidence. I've always gone along with the theory that in very very deep lakes, and of course then in the ocean, we don't really know everything that's on the bottom the bottom of them. I mean. Lake, uh, you know, Loch Ness is a very, very deep lake. Oceans are very deep. How do we know that there aren't 
subterranean, sub submarine caverns and tunnels that these things can come, say, come into a, say Nessie wants to come into Loch Ness for a day and look around, comes in, shows himself a little bit, just enough that people see him, and then he goes back into his cavern and out to the oceans where he stays hidden in the deep. I don't think that that would be totally impossible because we don't know all the sea animals. We don't know what's on the bottom of a lot of our planet's oceans. Yeah, for sure, especially when you hear these tales of certain animals being discovered that are exactly like they should have looked like like 60 million years ago it really makes you scratch your head and it, it is very possible right. that a plesiosaur or, or some other creature might have survived and looks exactly like it did back then yeah exactly unfortunately i think i also think lake and sea monsters are one of the easiest things to um dupe somebody with because mm. you may only see you know if you see the neck and the head You'll, and it's the right shape, you might think that's what it is, but you haven't seen the whole body or, uh, you know, it's, and it would be, it would be, if you had the real body, that would, I think would be a hard thing to duplicate, but just going with the neck and the head, you know, and I've had a couple of things. I know of one that was a resort that the, the owner, a Western state resort, I don't remember which one, where the owner, um, actually made kind of a moving sea monster out of plywood and some other things. And would have it pulled uh, uh, under the just under the waterline by by some contraption that he had, so people would report those, and then people would want to stay at the sea monster place, you know. So that and, and there was another one that happened, really maybe uh, 20 minutes from where I live now, um, near uh, Delavan, Wisconsin, where people were seeing what they called a lake monster in this big pond that was next next to a cemetery. And the cemetery um, groundskeeper went and found out that it was actually a horse covered with sea- with seaweed. Um, it had gotten <laughs> loose from wow. somebody's, somebody's horse that they knew. And the horse wasn't intended intending to mock anyone. It was trying to get out of that pond. And every time, so horses aren't wonderful swimmers, you know, and there's their rear ends are so bulky that they'll kind of bob up and down. And as he bobbed up and down, you know, trying desperately to get out of there, his head would gather more and more of the seaweed. And so he looked like he was covered with green, long green fur of some kind. And, you know, the, the hooves were mostly underwater. They weren't really seen. So um, you have to. And I, I'm I'm never ashamed or unhappy when I figure out that something is a hoax or an unintended. Um, not they're not all intended either. Something unintended, because then I, then I know I'm actually investigating. People who say no, there there aren't hoaxes. Nobody does that. Are kind of fooling themselves because just about any for Bray Road, I know of at least four different times when people who I know who they are uh, tried run either jumping out of a cornfield or, or running across the road or coming up in a parked car, uh, dressed in fursuits. And so, and, but that does not negate the actual sightings. There have been t- way too many that you could ascribe to that. In fact, I think four, four is a pretty small number considering thousands of people that visit Bray Road every year where the, the beast was yeah, it, originally seen. It helps when you actually have your own first-hand sort of 
paranormal supernatural experiences because uh, you know people like you and me we have that firsthand proof we can look at somebody's story and think hey you know we can give them the benefit of the doubt um i think most people probably do have some sort of paranormal experience but they just kind of lie to themselves and filter it out right or somebody they're very close there's a very large percentage of people on uh, some poll that was taken i can't remember which one it was but was a, an amazingly large percentage of people that either they or someone in their immediate family had seen a ghost or interacted with a ghost or seen a UFO, something like that. And so, you know, when you think, too, of how many people just never want to tell anybody what they saw for fear that they will be made fun of, which they many times are, and then end up saying, I know what I saw. And... They just want to tell somebody, and that's what they say. This is what people say to me almost always. They'll say, "I just wanted to tell somebody who wouldn't think I was crazy." Gee, maybe that's the maybe that's the uh, title for my next book. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have a lot of people that see these things when they're when they're drunk. But the thing is, alcohol doesn't make you hallucinate and see bat creatures or anything like that. You don't tend to really get much visuals with alcohol besides maybe the floor moving around. I, I really doubt anybody would see a monster merely because they're drunk. Most likely, the dr- fact exactly. that they were drunk, yeah, that, that's why they went wandering into the woods. Right, or they're pulled over trying to sleep something off. And actually, I do ask people that question. I ask them if they were drinking or on drugs. And most people are like, oh, no, I was driving, you know, I was trail hiking. I, I wouldn't drink in a situation like that. The only, I can only think of one person I asked, and he was one of those who had kind of pulled over a bit on the side road. Um, and I asked him, he and he, he admitted that he had been drinking. But this, this is the beautiful part. He said, when I saw that thing, I sobered up really fast, <laughs> you know, which you, which you can only imagine. And, um, yeah, it's, it's something that, but it's something that you have to take into consideration. And sometimes if you ask them if they've ever seen anything while they were, and while they were drunk, you'll get an interesting answer. But lots of times if I'm giving a talk, I'll say, well, okay, everybody who has had enough to drink to get kind of woozy, you know, raise your hand. And then they'll, you know, they'll kind of look at each other, but they'll raise their hands for that. And then I say, okay, everyone who, while they were woozy, has seen either a Bigfoot or a werewolf or a pink elephant. And nobody will raise their hand. And I'll say, anything? Did any of you see anything really weird or unusual while you were still drunk? Nobody will raise their hand. I've never had one person. Yeah, that does seem to be the way that it goes. Have Have you ever personally experienced anything or heard anything or seen anything that made you think to yourself, hey, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, it was terrifying. That first Bigfoot experience I had was really terrifying. It really, it really was. And um, I also had another one that I talk about in my books. I think it's this... No, I think it was the last one, Monsters Are Among Us, where uh, two two of my investigative friends, long-time uh, guys, and I were staking out a field. Um, we had reason to be out there and, and to think that there was something we might see at the time. And it was, uh, like su- I think it was like August. It was summer weather. So we had the windows rolled down. 
and we were watching um, or I was I was at least I was these the two big guys one's one's an architect the other one is a retired math teacher again not the same guy as the other but um, retired math teacher Sanjay Singhal and Lee Hampel and I was watching what I thought was an airplane going over the tree line that was kind of the place that we were watching and all of a sudden the so-called airplane stopped in midair it just stopped and backed up not fast not, not like little you know jiggling like you might see an, an airplane do um, because of the atmosphere but it was just it stopped and it backed up and I said hey guys I don't think that one's an airplane and as soon as I said that and they looked at it it started moving straight across the field at us completely straight line just like oh my targets and it only it didn't take very long for it to get across this 40 acre field and it stopped maybe 20 25 feet away from us and about that same distance in the air right 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 above us i mean we could see it and it was a basketball sized um silver kind of silvery blue not even not very much blue it was basketball sized mostly white and I, I can still see it perfectly in my mind's eye because it was such a shock. And it was hovering. It was just hovering. It didn't have any wings. It was, um, you know, not, there was no reason it should have been hovering there in the air. We could all see it. We were all seeing the same thing. And I was just getting my camera up to where I, I was trying to aim and get a good shot of it. And Sanjay um, took the initiative to take a mag light that was lying in the front seat he said, I, I just, actually, he didn't even say anything. He aimed it out the window, and um, it sort of made this little kind of funny, almost trembling movement, and then just sort of winked out on itself. And we all were just, I mean, it was just crazy. And we were comparing notes and realized we all saw the same thing. And... Um, Sanjay, also, Sanjay decided to go look around some nearby shrubs. I was not getting out of the car, and neither was Lee. But Sanjay came back in about a, a minute or two and said, we have to leave right now. I'm really sick. So that's another thing that often happens with these paranormal happenings is that there's something about the experience that the person becomes ill. And sometimes it's Sometimes it might just be fright. You know, you can feel feel so scared that you that you also feel sick. But more often than not, it's like they'll get the flu for a couple of weeks, or um, they'll have a bad headache or something like that. But he came back and was just insistent that we. And since he was driving, we didn't have. We we did. We we left. But he might have saved us from being abducted. For all I know, <laughs> who knows what was creating that or or um, but. There, there's just nothing mechanical about it. It was very hard to describe. And I, I thought at the time, boy, I just, I don't know if it's a smart thing to be out here and experiencing things that are unknown to us that might be radioactive or have maybe, who knows what propulsion system it has, if it has one. Um, there are just all kinds of questions with bad answers. 
Yeah, that that's that's an interesting story, but I I agree. It's just a big bag of mystery, and it could be anything from the demons and angels to aliens to something far different than we could even imagine. Right. Exactly. It sounds like you have more. You've had more of these experiences than you can even count at this point. <laughs> I, you know, I there I I've had a lot of them. And for a long time, I didn't talk about them too much because I didn't want to taint um, people that I was interviewing. Um, and then finally, for instance, those three sightings that, that I, of the um, Bigfoot that I had in, 19, in 2014, I didn't tell anybody about those until I finally put them in my last book because um I really thought people would think, well, that's really convenient for her. How convenient, you know. Here she's writing these books, and then she sees them. And so I just kept it to myself and took notes and told some people I was close to, but I didn't put it in a book. And then it occurred to me when I was putting that book together that in good conscience, I could not tell other people that, um, they should report their stories or ask them to report their stories if I wasn't willing and able to do the same thing myself. You know, and the fact is if I said I didn't see them, I would be lying because I did. I can't help it. They weren't hallucinations. They were things that did their own um, actions, and I I can't forget them either. I haven't had anything like that happen not not remarkable to that degree since we moved from that area. So, um, but I, I go back and, and things still happen. Not that I always like, I, and I, I don't really go hoping to think, hoping that things will happen um, as much as I used to. I, I used to think, boy, it would be really cool if this happened or that happened. And the more that I have these experiences, the more I think, well, are we supposed to, be, supposed to be seeking them? You know, it, it's more of a question in my mind. Um, my quest was just to make sure people knew that they were around, whatever they are. Well, you're certainly and, going to the right areas. I think if you keep going to the areas where people see these things, then eventually the odds are going to start to work in your favor and something's going to happen. I mean, just going into the woods and stuff like that, something tends to happen to me. Right. right. Yeah, and every state has... Parks, I mean, you don't need to own a big acreage, um, but that help. if you know somebody with a lot of private land, I've done that too. I've asked people with, with land if I could, you know, tromp around their, um, the borders of their their parcels and see what I could find. So, and mostly, if it's somebody you know, they don't mind. You have to avoid trespassing. That's the one thing that I would caution people. Yeah, easy to do when you're out there exploring. You might accidentally venture onto somebody's property. Then you'll have all kinds of different problems. You'll have an angry angry uh, property owner pointing a gun at you, probably. Right, yeah. That was a big problem at Bray Road for a long time. And really? Still is. Some- oh, yeah, because people would think... Um, I would actually get phone calls from people saying, yeah, I'm going to you know, uh, put my ammunition in my rifle and I'll be there and I'm going to find that thing and track it down and shoot it. And I'm like, well, not unless you can do it from the highway because not Bayport is in the highway, but it connects two highways. And 
it has houses all along it and farms. It's privately owned. It's not a forest or anything. And yet it's probably one of the most visited spots in Wisconsin. I mean, thousands of people have gone there. The people will um, have their picture taken under the Bray Road sign and then send me a copy of their picture. I get that a lot. <laughs> Which, you know, and I understand that, but it's still really rare. People don't understand how rare it really is. And if they go and do that kind of thing, um, you can expect their, the police and the sheriff's deputies are always cruising around that area because they have the citizens to think of. And you're always getting emails and stuff like that from people that are seeing Upright Dogs and the Beast of Bray Road and stuff like that, right? I am, yeah. I've got a couple. I've got Actually, I've got a stack that I'm trying to find time to go through. It just since that book came out and working on the film and several other developments, um, I have a hard time doing the work I really enjoy, which is the tracking and investigation and putting it all together and trying to see how things. But I do. I've got a I've got a whole stack right now that I need to take some action upon. Well, we are hitting the end of the half hour. Um, I did want to go ahead and close off the interview. But one thing I always do, as you know, is open things up at the end. Um, if you'd like, feel free to get on the soapbox or get behind the pulpit and just say whatever you'd like to say to my audience out there. And, of course, feel free to follow that up with anything and everything that you would like to plug. Well, thank you. Well, you know, I, I think I've sort of been... Um, philosophizing and um, being a little bit more introspective than I usually am on this show. So I don't know if I'd have anything extra to add except that, um, you know, it is is fun, it is cool, you feel great after you go out in the woods, but I just always urge more caution to people. Maybe that's just me. Um, But I, I think that we don't know for sure what many of these creatures are, if any, and that we should go with an abundance of caution, as long as that's true. I would never want to see someone out hunting Bigfoot or Dogman or whatever and be be the first uh, known casualty of one of those things. That that would not be a happy day. So, And I also always um, urge people to study up, not looking at the strange creatures they might find, but study up on whatever mundane creatures like um, feral hogs, deer, um, whatever kind of animals you can think of that are there, what habitat they have, and use your um, satellite tracking maps along with good old folding paper maps. You can really get, sometimes you can't, put all those things together in the satellite maps, but if you look at a folding map, I, I use them together. I think it make, it really helps. Um, not that I never get lost. That my uh, Two of my friends laughed at me the last time we went out. I've, I forgot to bring my maps, and we didn't have our tracking stuff, and we hiked a little farther than we had intended to. But also, just something like clothing. Um and I often wonder how our clothing affects the creatures. You know, if you read um, 
the missing 411 books. I'm trying to think of the author's name. I know it very well, but um, again, it's reaching that hour where my mind doesn't work quite as well. Um, anyway, the missing 411 books, I'm sure everybody's familiar with. And he is someone who is also trying to correlate reports that come in and say what, well, this happened X number of times, that happened. And color seems to make a difference. Wearing bright colors, people wearing bright colors in certain groups are the ones that seem to get disappeared. So I, I don't know what that means exactly, but it's just an example of kind of dressing like you knew you were going to the woods and like you're familiar with it and you want to sort of fit in. Um, I've had people on days when it was like 35 degrees out wear short shorts and they're getting bug bites all over them. Um, lots of times big city photographers won't believe that, you know, that you have to wear long pants if you're going through woods for a lot of reasons or they won't bring they won't ever think of bringing mosquito repellent. So it's just be prepared. And then you can focus more your senses on the, the the things you want to focus. And I have I have one little saying that I always tell people that has been gleaned for many years of watching horror animal films, which is always look behind you and always look up. Love that. And bring the right gear, people. Yeah. It's, it's just simply a must, definitely. I will mention again real quickly, lindagodfrey.com is my blog, and you can find things on different parts of it, just roam around it, and lots of um, older stories. And I'm also on Facebook as Linda S. Godfrey, although it goes and intermixes with my plain Linda Godfrey one that's supposed to be family, but it isn't. Everybody's on both of them. And I do Twitter, and my Twitter handle is Linda S. Godfrey, but um, it's all lowercase, no spaces. And that should do it. All right. Well, Linda, I had a great time as usual, and I definitely thank you for joining us this evening. It's been another classic interview, and I'd love to talk to you again um, about the time where you're uh, making the second documentary. (laughs) I hope that happens. I do. Definitely. So, no, I I thank you very much. I thank all your listeners, and uh, I'll be glad to come back another time. All right. You have a good good night, Linda. Bye. Thanks. You too. Take care. And that was Linda Godfrey, one of my favorite guests, and, of course, one of your favorite guests. Her shows always do quite well in the ratings. They always get lots and lots of views cryptids and stuff like that might not be your cup of tea but i absolutely love that stuff i love animals i love nature i've been into it since i was a kid and i know that a lot of other people like it as well a lot of people just like to sit back and relax and listen to linda's stories so this is end of days radio and you know sometimes we're talking about the end of days but we're talking about other stuff too we're talking about cryptids we're talking about uh you know positive thinking success stuff like that old 80s pop culture anything really anything that floats my boat or floats your boat but hey you know what i just realized something we do have 
a break that we got to do. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about stuff like Eminem. I'm going to finish that discussion. We'll torture you guys with some of that stuff. Lots to talk about. I'll be back soon.
And we are back, back to End of Days Radio. I am Daniel, your resident lunatic, your resident hallucinating madman, living in these last days, these days of prophecy and revelation. Here I am. So happy to be here with you guys. That was a great interview. Linda Covery. How many times has she been on the show? I'm losing track. Four? Five? I don't know, but they're all hits. We actually have another cryptid coming on. Not a cryptid. We're not going to have a cryptid come on. We're going to have another cryptozoologist. I don't know if Linda really even considers herself that title. I think she prefers like author, researcher. But we're going to have another person... Come on here and talk about cryptids pretty soon, probably in like a month, but that show is scheduled and I keep saying to myself, hey, I need to schedule myself a break, but I just keep scheduling more shows and whereas before I felt not motivated to do any shows, now the opposite's happening and being on air is turning into like a comfort thing for me, so it's it's turned into the complete opposite, I just want to be online as much as possible because i don't know it just when i'm doing this i'm not thinking about all the terrible things going on in the world all the children in palestine dying and things of that nature think about the children in the cages in our southern border it makes me very sad have you guys seen uh what's going on in where the hell's my phone have you seen what's going on in france where the firefighters and the uh the policemen are like having a war that looks cool i mean imagine lord of the rings but it's all french firefighters and french policemen check that on out on a uh, social media or google the mainstream media is not really covering what's going on over there over in france the blue collared middle lower class are very upset they're very unhappy with with what's been going on over there and apparently they have this law in the past where or not in the 
pass pass, but they have this law they came out with somewhat recently where anybody who's driving a car has to carry a yellow vest with them in case there's some kind of emergency that happens and then everybody puts on their yellow vest. Well, the French people have turned these yellow vests into a symbol of their rebellion. And I love it. I mean, I love a good rebellion. I love a good breakdown of society. I love a good collapse. I love a, I love a good revolution because that's what I'm all about. Yeah, fight the power. Fight the man. Yeah, F the man. Yeah, fight the power. Yeah. Black power. I mean, what? No, not don't say that. I mean, power to the people. Yeah. Uh, viva la revolution always like that saying um where'd my phone go there you are so Eminem Eminem he was the man back when I was like in my 20s and a lot of people now are you know they're saying he fell off he's lame now blah 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 apparently he released a song where he was actually rapping about gun control. He's like, he, he went from rapping about killing Kim and being stalked by Stan and knocking people out and killing people and having demons in his head. He went from that to fucking rapping about, Oh, we got to make sure we do those background checks. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, come on, come on, Marshall. That's fucking whack, dude. That's lame. When you start talking about gun control, you lose all your street cred you lose all your all your fucking support from anybody that is a real American and owns a firearm. I mean, why would you even go there? Why? Like, it's you can't think of controversial stuff to talk about anymore. You can't pick on Britney Spears or, or find some pop stars to shit all over and feud with. So you got to start acting like some freaking Hollywood liberal. Are you kidding me? Dude, just stop. Have you seen pictures of Eminem lately? I swear, half the time he's got like five pounds of makeup on. It's crazy. Like, you're talking about somebody that, at the top of his game, he was considered cool. Like, you could not be cooler than Slim Shady. Everybody liked him. Uh, The white people liked him. The black people liked him. Everybody thought he was cool. And now it's like the complete opposite. It's like, man, you're getting old, buddy. And you're from a different generation and all the... Like, really young-ass people are just, you know, they're not vibing to that anymore. They're listening to Billie Eilish, or Billie Eilish, however the hell you say her name. <clears throat> and, and you know, one thing I can say about Eminem, it probably seems like I'm bashing him, but really I'm not. I'm, ta- I'm saying this stuff as a fan of Eminem. I'm saying this stuff as a fan of rap and a fan of hip-hop. Um, I'm, I'm saying that... Rapping about gun control is fucking lame. But at least he actually has talent. A lot of these other people that are winning awards and stuff like that, it's just, you know, they stink. They don't have any talent at all. At least with Eminem, you could say, even though he's kind of lame now, he's still one of the best rappers. I'm not going to say he's the best, but he's definitely up there. I mean, as far as coming up with cool catchphrases and cool lyrics and cool um you know being able to put pen to paper and actually think of some stuff to make us laugh and vibe with he's a master at that but it's a generational thing it is i'm not sure that rap is really what it used to be i know that it's still probably the most popular form of music for young people to listen to 
but I don't think it's what it used to be. It's not, it's not like it was when, you know, we were bumping Dr. Dre and Jay-Z and Nas and, you know, back in the late nineties, early two thousands, maybe a little bit before that, that was probably the heyday of rap. And then you had 50 cent and he was huge. Uh, you had guys like Ludacris and now it just seems to get worse and worse. You still, uh, you still have like some white guys trying to rap. Um, you got that guy that was trying to feed with Eminem, uh, Shoot, Machine Gun Kelly, Machine Gun Kelly, and they were getting all those views for their videos. And then it turned out that Eminem and Machine Gun Kelly had like the same producer. And then I watched that interview with Eminem, and he's talking about having the feud with Machine Gun Kelly, and he keeps touching his face. You could just tell that it's fucking fake. It's more of that fake rap beef. It's like pro wrestling. You know, they try to make oh, so and so's mad at so and so. But in reality, these rappers, they're not really that tough. You know what I mean? Like, if they were that tough, they would be the dude sitting in prison with a life sentence. Of course, they're not actually doing the things they're rapping about. That's, you know, you you would have to be a a young person or very naive to really believe that stuff. Like, if, you know, there's some guys that they've really gotten in some trouble in the past, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, if Snoop Dogg was going around shooting people and killing people or beating people up, he would be in prison. He wouldn't be chilling in his crib smoking weed. You know what I'm saying? If these guys did do real stuff out in the streets, they did it when they were younger and they changed their lives. Rappers are not, you know, uh, rappers are not like tough. Like you might think, I guess is what I'm trying to say. A lot of them probably would never even fight anybody. They wouldn't fist fight anybody. They wouldn't pull out a gun on anybody because they have too much to lose. But then you have that other sort of pressure where they are expected to back up what they're saying. And I think that's when you get some of these crazy situations because, you know, you get punk, so to speak, by another rapper and your career is over. So you constantly have to defend yourself. It's really a weird world. You know, that it's like a, it's a rabbit hole onto itself. And rap has its own conspiracies, like the death of Tupac and um, shit. What was that guy? Hey, somebody help me out of the chat. Uh, Nipsey... Um, Nipsey Hustle. Let me Google that real quick. So this guy, yeah, Nipsey Hustle, and sorry, I'm just uh, grabbing some info off of Wikipedia, but he was actually working on a documentary uh, about this guy that, uh, what was he working on? A Cure for Cancer or was it AIDS? Something like that. Shoot, let's see here. I know I can find this info. Nipsey Hustle documentary. Let's see. Okay, so before his death, Nipsey Hustle revealed he was making a documentary profiling the life of Dr. Sebi, who claimed he successfully cured AIDS. So AIDS, controversial topic right there. You know, really hard to tell what's true and what's real in that world. But this guy, Nipsey Hussle, a lot of people think he was killed because he was doing like this truth sort of conspiracy work, kind of like what we do. And that's just another example of a conspiracy within the rap world. And it's not the only one. There's a lot of these. Like if I really went looking, I'm sure I could do a whole show just on rap conspiracies (laughs) 
and one out of a thousand people might actually enjoy that. Uh, I, I, for those of you that hate rap, I do apologize. I don't even know why I started listening to it. Probably because all the other kids listened to it and we'd smoke pot and we'd bump the bass really loud and it just sounded amazing. It sounded so good. It sounded so fucking good. And I know a lot of people can't really vibe to rap. Like they don't, they're from a different generation or et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it was a big part of my childhood, a big part of my childhood. And I got called, uh, you know, I got called the W word and, um, you know, people say, oh, you're trying to act black and stuff like that. I didn't really take it that far. I mean, I, I wasn't really, you know, talking like a wankster, but, um, you know, I, I wore the baggy jeans and I had my hair bleached like Eminem and all that. I even got into freestyle and rhyming. Like those of you that follow me on Twitter, like a lot of times I'm just tweeting out rhymes, like just out of boredom. I just love to rhyme all the time and get rid of the slime. See, I just did it right there, but I, I, I fucking love to rhyme. Like when I'm sitting around bored, I never get bored because I'll just start rhyming. And, and when I'm rhyming, I come up with all these fucking awesome philosophical ideas while I'm doing it. It's like, it's like this fucking angel enters my mind and, inspires me whenever i start rhyming oh i got a new shirt got an undertaker shirt kind of hard to see with the mic there yeah there you go a big fan of the undertaker wanted to do some kind of tribute to him so i bought a shirt this is undertaker i've never had an undertaker shirt before i always thought they were awesome i just i just never had the balls to wear one because I was too afraid of what people would think. I didn't want anybody to know that I was watching pro wrestling. I didn't want them to judge me or say I was a dork or anything like that. But you know what? Nowadays, I don't give a fuck. Like, what do I care if people know that I watch pro wrestling? That's one of the more normal things that I do. I don't want them to know that I'm like, that I believe in flat earth and I'm spending my time like researching demons and stuff like that. (laughs) No one's going to want anything to do with me. Like, can you imagine me going on some Tinder dates? Oh, hi, I'm Daniel and... I'm a demon hunter. <laughs> Do you like demons? <laughs> Let's go play with some demons. <laughs> demons are fun. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to fly. You know, you even say the word demon and <laughs> that's it. You just lost your date. <laughs> Don't talk about any of this shit if you're on a date. Don't talk about any fucking weird, crazy, woo shit. Save that for like, save save that for after you're married. That's the best advice I can give you. Don't tell anybody like anything about yourself until you're actually married. Then you can start to open up because you don't have a whole lot to lose at that point. They say be yourself, right? I say be yourself after you're married. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the outdoors, but I think I kind of covered that already with Linda. Yeah, I, I find it just fun. I know a lot of people think that that's boring and why that is is because we're surrounded by netflix and amazon prime and hulu and you know we have all these different options that we can use for our time nowadays we don't have to sit and wait for certain tv shows and stuff like that so you know compared to all the cool video games and stuff like how do you how how can nature compete with that but maybe because i spent most of my life playing video games and behind the computer screen like like a computer screen like I am right now. Maybe that's why I like to just get the fuck away from the computer and soak up some real sun and get out there and, and really, you know, fill the world for how it is and connect with nature. Something exciting always happens. I see some weird animal. Um, like earlier today, I walked down to the fucking park and I, I wander into the fucking bushes cause I have to piss 
and I see this huge hole in the ground. Like, what happened? A wind upturned a tree or something? It doesn't take me long before I realize it's a fucking bear den. Because I know what to look for now. Because I learned about them. And when before these things would just completely fly over my head, now I can say, hey, that's a fucking bear den. Don't get too close, Daniel. Don't stick your arm in there. Don't pop your head in there. I did get a picture. It's just a hole in the ground next to a tree. Typical bear den. But, oh, man, I love the outdoors. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go on some Bigfoot hunts. And I might even go looking for the Megalodon. That's right. The shark of sharks. Might Maybe not right this second, but I'm probably going to do the Bigfoot thing soon. And the Megalodon thing just requires me to buy a $200,000 boat with the correct equipment, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So um, unless I make some rich friends... That's probably going to take a while to come together. But hey, rich friends are everywhere. Rich people are bored. If if you're fucking loaded, I'm not asking for your money. I'm not asking you to buy me anything. But if you want to take me out on your fucking boat and go looking for Megalodon with me, and you know, I'll pay for my own food and all my shit, but if you want to take me out on your boat and let me like film from your boat and you don't fucking kill me while we're out there... Then I might be game for that, especially if we barbecue up some salmon right there on the fucking deck. That'd be a good time. Hang out with my new rich billionaire friends, my imaginary billionaire friends. We're going to fish for salmon out in the ocean and look for the Megalodon and watch the girls dance in their bikinis. Watch the trans females dance in their bikinis. I'm joking. I'm joking. Calm down. What's going on in the chart? So shout out to all the people that joined us in the chat. Very much like when you guys do that. It really adds to the experience. And if you have any questions for me or the guests, feel free to enter said question into the chat or just call. Remember, you can always call in at 209-348-9810 or just add NinjaShu777 on Skype. Once again, that's 209-348-9810 or NinjaShu777 or End of Days Radio on Skype. And remember, you can follow me on Instagram at Ninja Shoes, follow me on Twitter at Ninja Shoes, and also go to our Facebook page, The Real End of Days Radio. You can get us on the Tune and Radio app. Search for EODR. Make sure it's EODR and not the wrong show. And also, you can get us anywhere you get podcasts. iTunes, Google Store, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. We're everywhere. YouTube. YouTube's where you get the video. If you like the video and, you know, always expanding on that. Endofdaysradio.com. You can get a full schedule of End of Days Radio. If you want to donate to the show, go to endofdaysradio.com and click that donate button. I still don't have the Bitcoin set up. I'm afraid that I'm going to, like, sign up for some kind of scam Bitcoin site and end up like owing money or something like that. Like my Bitcoin wallet will turn into a black hole and I'll be at like minus 300. I need to learn more about this before I dive in. I'm getting fucking old and I'm losing touch with the tech and the pop culture and the humor. I don't understand. Okay. Boomer. It doesn't make me laugh. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't get this fucking young people humor. I don't get it. I'm getting fucking old. I hate it. I hate getting old. I hate getting old. I hate it. Look, I'm losing my fucking hair. I hate this fucking shit. Let's do the mind-blowing moment of the day. 
mind-blowing moment of the day. How you doing, Daniel? Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing great. Is this Al? Yeah. Oh yeah, we played two of your songs earlier. We played Action Hero as well as A Cold Day in Hell. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, I forgot to give you your fucking I forgot to say what songs they were because I'm a stoner and I totally forgot. My apologies. Alright. I I got my new dog the guitar center. I'll be picking it up when I get home. Oh, uh, a dedicated audio workstation? Yep. Nice. You gonna make using, some music? I was, mix, I, was, I was using Mixcraft 5, but I bought Mixcraft 8 Pro Studio. Oh, okay. That's one of the newer programs? That's their newer, better version. You you got a whole YouTube channel set up now, huh? Yeah, well, no, I'm just using my name channel, but I need to set up one for Martian Medicine Man all by itself. Yeah, check that out, people. Check what, What's the name of that channel again? Right now, it's just Alan Daver. Alan Devore? Yeah, but I'm going to be setting up Martian Medicine Man here pretty soon. Yeah, check that out. Check out Al, Al Devoren on YouTube. You can check out Al's studio and check out his process of making music and watch him work some of his uh, classic uh, keyboards and synths and, and watch him play some guitar. Dude's fucking killer on guitar. Nah, I suck. You don't fucking suck, you liar. If you suck, then what, oh, what am I? <laughs> I got problems if you no, suck. No, but an artist is supposed to be humble and not think he sounds all that great, right? Um, I, That hasn't been my experience. Most of the best artists, artists are like, I'm the shit. Yeah, well, that's because they're egocentric. And that helps them make amazing music, because they have to live up to it. No, they're just... Well, it's like to brag themselves up. I, I prefer to let the music speak for itself. Can you give me... I think we did this before, but fuck it, let's do it again. Can you give me your top three of all time? Top three what? Top three music artists slash bands of all time. Let's well, see. I'd have to say my favorite guitarist is Julie John Roth, ex of the Scorpions. Ah. His, his solo stuff is like Jimi Hendrix. Well, it was. Now he's just a riff meister. Uh, this... Kind of like Joe Bonamassa. Like Joe Bonamassa, he's, a, he's pretty good at riffing, but he's no Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's for damn sure. Well, the Scorpions have their fans, but they're probably a little bit underrated, right? Well, I prefer the I prefer their first five albums. I don't really care for anything after Animal Magnetism. Oh, did they jump the shark? Well, I, I found Animal Magnetism. I was like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. So I went and bought all their stuff before that. I bought that one around when it came out. I went and bought all their earlier stuff and the and I found out that Matthias Jabs is on Animal Magnetism and Yuri John Roth is on all the early stuff. Except the first album, which has Michael Shanker on it. So who, who would be... UFO. Uh... Oh, okay. Well, Rudolph Shanker, the rhythm guitar player for the Scorpions, is Michael Shanker's older brother. 
And on their first album, Lonesome Crow, that's Michael Shanker playing the guitar, not Yuli or uh, Matthias. So who would your second be? Would that be UFO? Oh, uh, no, I like UFO. You're right. He, Deep Purple, uh, your Lucifer's Friend, for all the older stuff. My favorite metal band right now is God Forbid. That's two black guys, two Hispanics, and one white guy. What would your let's do this different? Let's do this different. What would your top three be from 1990 to today? Uh, King Diamond, Merciful Fate, and probably uh, Megadeth. And uh, I like Frozen the Conformity. That album Deliverance is pretty awesome. All right, let's try let's try something else. What are your top three from the past five years? I don't have any because I don't keep up with who's out there nowadays. It's all disappointing. Something's got to be catchy though, like some kind of new band. Like, oh, I don't know. I just, I don't. I like Orange Goblin. They're pretty good. Okay, yeah, Orange Goblin's badass. That's that's kind of like the kind of music that I like, like the uh, stoner rock stuff. Hey, you're the drummer for Corrosion of Conformity just died. Uh, no, I didn't know that. That's that's very unfortunate. Hey, he died last weekend, I guess. Yeah, that's sad. I could give a I, I could give a rat's ass about Kobe, though. He's a rapist. Uh, oh, Kobe! Everybody, everybody forgets. Everybody forgets about his rape shit. Oh, he didn't really do that. That was that was just some girl trying to get money or something. No, I think he paid her off. She didn't. No, she got off because she wouldn't testify. I think he paid her off. Um. Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, I tend to like defend these guys. Like, just all like the... Mike... go ahead. Well, it's just like Michael Jackson paid off all them parents to keep their kids shut up. Um. Well, he didn't actually pay off a bunch of parents. Um, hey, dude, he paid several. He paid several of them kids' families fucking millions of dollars. It didn't. It didn't play out exactly like that if you look at what actually transpired it, it was a little different than what most people think um i think if you really look deeply into the court records and and research the case it, it's pretty apparent that michael was innocent uh, i never cared for him solo but i liked his michael jackson stuff that stuff was awesome a b c well his uh dd and tito their kids have formed their own group. I think it's called Taj Jackson. It's T-A-J Jackson. They're like a new group that's sort of trying to pick up right. that legacy of the Jacksons. I haven't listened to them, but I think it's kind of cool that, you know, anybody from the Jackson family is continuing the legacy. I'd rather listen to Taj Mahal than anything the Jacksons put out in the last 20 years. Yeah, uh, what do you think of Eminem? I never liked him from the word go. I'd rather listen to ICP or Twisted. I only listen to rap music made by white guys wearing clown makeup. Would you ever go to the Gathering of the Juggalos? Uh, no, I'm down with the clown, but I ain't no Juggalo. Would you ever just go go to one just to check it out? Nah, I'm too old for that shit. They just what's this old fart doing here? Yeah, there's some older people there. Yeah, all kinds at the Gathering of the Juggalos. Young Juggalos, old uh, Juggalos, 400-pound Juggalos. Hey, you, see, you see my uh, comment on the cat there? I was watching a chemtrail jet leaving a chemtrail, and when it flew over another chemtrail, 
instead of leaving an airplane shadow, I left a big giant circle about five times bigger than the airplane. That's weird. How about some of them? How about them chemtrail jets aren't really jets; they're flying saucers with an image of a jet on the bottom of it. So that's what you think it is. Hey Al, have you heard my technodome theory? Heard what? My technodome theory. No. Well, basically, the theory is that we're all just... The, the reason why we can't figure out if the Earth is, like, round or flat or, or we can't go into space is because we're really inside this big-ass dome. And when we look up, we're just seeing, like, a projected image. So if we see, like, planes flying or chemtrails and stuff like that, it's, it's basically just a screen up there. And that's why we yeah. see so much crazy, crazy shit, because we're inside a big fucking dome that's made of technology called the Technodome. Yeah, uh, on that on that note, when I was a little kid, like three or four years old, I I used to think that the sun was God, and then when the sun went down, that was God going to sleep, and all those stars in the night was a dome that comes up over the earth, and all those stars are just windows peeking through heaven, so that, angels could sit up there and walk up down and watch us. That might have been more accurate than our modern day conception of space. Well, you know how they say if you look upon God's magnificence as blind you, what happens when you stare at the sun? You go blind. Exactly. Or you get superpowers if you're Superman. But yeah, I used to think that the sun was God and that nighttime was just a dome coming up over the earth and all the stars were just holes in the dome where the angels could look down on us. Well, I saw this guy on Twitter the other day saying that the stars are angels. Eh, could be. I used to think they were just windows to he from heaven looking down on us. I just think they're... That kind, of, that, that kind of fits in with your dome theory. Yeah, I just think they're like little-ass LED lights that don't really do... They're just up there in the dome. Being, they're just LED lights projecting an image, and pretty much everything up there is fake, you know? It's just, it's just a movie, movie screen, like how, a big drive-in. How about this? How about this? The Earth is a stage... And they're up there looking at us through those windows, watching us do our thing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Stage. That sounds about right. I think yeah. that the the real people out there, they're just laughing at us because they have all the good technology and all the good medicine, and they have perfect everything. They're just laughing at us like, look at those people down there. <laughs> they have to toil and suffer. <laughs> it's kind of like life is the Truman Show, right? Yeah, exactly. But instead of it being just one person... Truman. Yeah, we're all Truman, exactly. Yeah, we're all Truman, yeah. Yeah, they, they really need to make some more of these movies. Like, where's the Truman story 2? Or or where's Dark City 2? Like, they need to start making more fucking Matrix-type movies because we're, we're having to talk about the same ones from, like, the 90s over and over, like, you know, around 2000, and they just aren't, like, pumping them out like they used to. It's kind of disappointing. Well, John Wick 4 and The Matrix 4 are both coming out on the same day next year. Oh, yeah. They really screwed over Keanu, didn't they? All I know is they're making a Matrix 4 right now. I haven't seen any of the John Wick movies, but I heard they're badass. Yeah, it's just him killing people from one end to the other. Uh, Bill and Ted's uh, Final Journey's coming out this year, too. Wild Stallions. Hell, yeah. Oh man! I, loved, I, saw, I saw that in the theater when it came out. The first one, I was all, "Oh, that's too bad." That's kind of how, how, like, I think of you and Todd. Like, you guys are like Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs>
Hey, I guess that can work. I'm not sure which one is which one, but you guys are like Bill and Ted from the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to be doing too many live videos here in the future. Now that I'm getting my new DAW, I'm going to start recording whole songs and trying to put some video clips together and make actual real music videos. No, oh, that'd be cool, but I think that, that uh, a live performance, there's something to that, too, because it's very uh, spontaneous, and you know, you, you throw a fog yeah. machine in there or something like that. I don't have enough room for setting up a little uh, movie studio and shit like that, but I'm, I drive from L.A. to Salt Lake back, or Salt Lake to L.A. back and forth, and I'm finding all kinds of cool places out here in the Mojave to pull over and set up my camera and go out there in the middle of the desert doing some dancing and shit. Nice that you know one of the reasons I like going out in the woods and stuff is I find these little spots where I could go back and just chill like my own little secret bases. Well, in Salt Lake, we got I can drive two miles and I'm in the mountains. Are you gonna do any Bigfoot hunting? No, we should do that someday. I'd have to go up. No, there's not a lot of Bigfoot sightings in Utah. We'll get crossbows because they can smell the guns. So we'll get crossbows and camouflage and we'll just like creep our way up the mountain and look for some Sasquatches. They can still smell, even if you don't have a real gun, they can still smell you a mile away. Imagine if you try to shoot one with a crossbow bolt and it just caught it in midair. That's probably what would happen. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think so. I think so. They'd hear it coming to see be- because they they have crazy interdimensional powers and they're strong as fuck. They're strong as like five gorillas probably. They could probably hear your thoughts from ten miles away. Yeah, I could hear their thoughts too because I'm psychically active and aware. So we would we would probably be communicating like as soon as I get within five miles of the creature. Yeah, exactly. They'd know you're coming. Yeah, and they'd know your intention. They'd know your intention too. Yeah, the there's a uh, story. They probably, probably grab a big two foot boulder and huck it at you like a bullet. Oh yeah! If something like that happened, I'm done. Just forget about it. Like that's nothing is worth dealing with a creature like that. I mean, I don't even care if I'm well armed. I'm wearing armor. Nothing's going to stop something like that. Like you try to fight well, a Sasquatch. Remember that campfire a couple years ago up in Paradise, California? Uh huh. I've seen videos where there's like an Arby's. Uh-huh. The fucking cinder block and steel roof building was fucking turned to ash, yet the fucking trees around it are left intact. Oh, those uh, direct energy weapons? That's what it was. I think they're just trying to drive the Bigfoot out of that area. I think that's what that was all about. Oh, yeah. they have. See, that's what I mean by there's like people up there that have all this crazy technology. Um, a lot of people think it's aliens, but... I mean, who knows what it is, but yeah, you'll see stuff like that. You'll see like beams come from the sky and just blow shit up and an invisible craft. And th- they have some crazy tech. Like their, their technology is just, it's godlike. And what we get is just like stone age. Well, you know what the rock, you know what the XM satellites are called, don't you? No. One's, one's called rock and the other one's called roll. That, that's your directed energy weapon platform. They're just using the satellite radio as a cover. Hmm. You know, I... That's what brought down, that's what brought down the World Trade Center was, a, was rock or roll. I've, they've tried to use that shit on me before in Kentucky once. I've looked at where the uh, International Space Station orbits, and it actually only yeah. orbits really high in the atmosphere. It's not even in space. It's just really high up in the sky. A lot of people don't realize that. 
Hey, you know this truck stuff I'm sitting at last year? I saw a freaking flying saucer recovery truck fly, uh, drive by here. The recovery truck? Who is that? The men in black? No, it's a, it was a truck pulling a trailer that they crashed the flying saucer and go out there and put it on the truck and haul it back to where they got to fix it. Huh. Maybe, it, maybe it'll go to uh, Area 51 with Bob Lazar. It was just happened to be heading up 395, heading up that way. Or Area 51. Yeah, there's something to that stuff. It didn't have nothing on it, but but I could tell it was a flying saucer recovery truck. Well, I got this guy coming on, right? uh, He lives over in New York, and he's seen these fucking crazy-ass UFOs every day. They're, like, stalking his ass constantly. And he sent me some videos, and I'm going to play them when he comes on the show, but they're real legitimate fucking UFOs, very similar to what I saw years and years ago. And he had no problem getting video of them. These things aren't hiding. We can get the footage. Well, this truck drove by. It was nothing on the trailer. It had 10 California Highway Patrol giving it an escort. Oh. Yeah, there's something fishy going on there. Yeah, exactly. You know, even when the military moves their big guns and stuff like that, they don't even have any, like, armed ex-escort around here. Like, you'll see them driving by with their huge fucking uh, artillery guns, and they'll just be, like, two guys driving the truck and maybe, like, another truck behind it, and that's it. Like, you know, if somebody really was set to do it, they could probably just take over and steal one of those crazy weapons, and I don't know where they'd hide it, but uh, the fact that they would have that many people escorting, that, that says something, I think. Well, I was in Nebraska one time. My starter went out of my truck, and I was trying to get a driver to back up to my trailer and give me a push start. I walked up to this truck. had no markings on it. When I knocked on the door, there was three guys in there, and they would not open the door at all. Then five minutes later, a freaking uh, handyman truck comes, pulls up and says, What do you need? That was all. This is kind of interesting. Got this unmarked truck, and then... And they wouldn't open the door, and five minutes later, a handyman truck pulls up and asks me what I want. Yeah, that's weird. It was a government. It was a government load. Hey, Al, it's a like, secret, government, secret it, government load. It's it's reason kind of getting... three drivers. Reason they had three drivers was so that they wouldn't have to stop. They could just keep going. Yeah, that's interesting. But hey, I gotta I gotta let you go. All right, I decided to call and say hey. Right on. Thanks for calling in. Bye. But yeah, my dog's at Guitar Center right now, so I'll be picking it up on Friday when I get home, and I'll just start recording some new shit right away. And go to um, Al DeVorn on YouTube. Anything else you want to plug? Did you want to plug the MySpace or anything? Or the Facebook? Oh, I got Martian Medicine Man on Reverb Nation. All right. That's where most of my songs are. And Martian Medicine Man on Drupal. Hey, here's a good one for you, real quick. I got my Reverb Nation page. I've had it like eight years, and I got 22,000 song plays on there. The first year of my Jewel page, I got 20,000. Oh, nice. But they're, out, they're out of Sofia, Bulgaria. It's a European, like, equivalent to SoundCloud or Reverb Nation. What's it called again? Drubal. D-R-O-O-B-L-E. D-R-O-O-B-L-E? Yeah, it's called Drubal. Oh, okay. Is that a new thing? That's been around for about three years now. Okay, right on. Well, I just but I, I couldn't believe I go on, get, put my stuff on there, and in one year I get over twenty thousand song plays. It took me eight years to get twenty-two thousand on Reverb Nation. Yeah, you never know how that stuff is going to go. I wish some of my shows would uh, go a little bit more viral, but you never know which ones are going to be hits. Yeah, well, fucking America sucks. You're a tourist, that man. Maybe I just get 
got to start figuring out how to get your shit over in Europe. Yeah, um, I, I talked about this on the show, but one one uh, story that's really interesting are the uh, black metal murders that happened in uh, Scandinavia. Nor- that's a- yeah, Norway. No, no, Norway. Yeah, yeah. Norway. Yeah, that, that's a crazy story. Holy shit. But hey, I'm taking this new format you're using for your show instead of just on the radio. Yeah, it gives people something to look at. It's nice when we get the guests on camera, I think. You get a lot more, uh, you know, you get the body language and all that. Hey, uh, if you want to start getting more people to watch your uh, older stuff, you know how to do tags, right? Oh, I'm not concerned about that. Uh, people don't really go back and well, listen to the older stuff. It's mostly like when, when a show comes out, it gets its interest, and then that's pretty much it. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if you tag Clive Lewis and Coast to Coast and some other shows on there, it'll come up on the, it'll start showing up on uh, after somebody watches a video, and they give suggestions, it'll start showing up on the suggestion. Maybe get a lot more people watching your show. No, oh, yeah, that's some good advice. I might give it a try. Yeah, that's what I need to start doing with my music too. Start, start tagging people on my YouTube videos and see, see if I can get more watchers. Well, all right, Al. Appreciate yeah. you calling in, buddy. Yeah, I got to drop down to L.A. I just wait for all the dumbass down there to get to bed before I want to drive through there. Well, stay safe and uh, stay away it's from those aliens. There, stay away LA from the Illuminati. The madhouse for the daytime, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, right on. Bye. All right, see you later, Danny. And that was Al. Always good talking to him. We haven't heard from him in a while. Um, Let's see what's going on. So... I did want to finish the mind-blowing moment of the day. Yay! 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 I really liked Linda's UFO story. That was pretty trippy. I think she told it on the show before, maybe. Or on another show that I listened to. I don't know. But that is some cool shit. Like, the fact that she actually has these experiences when she goes out and looks for stuff... Um, you know, it kind of reminded me of our interview that we had earlier this month with Connie Willis. You know, the, the Bigfoot stuff, very similar. And, you know, when things are similar, it just makes it all the more credible. So I really enjoy that sort of stuff. And I, I really enjoy Linda's work. She she goes on a lot of programs. And I think she forgets, like, you know, things, stories that she's told on this show and stuff like that. But um, we, we've got just, like, such a history with her. And I, I absolutely, like, love talking to her every time. It's just always quality, quality, which, which this show is really about is quality. You know, there's some guests that come on here and, you know, they I don't really vibe with them so much. Like, there's even been some guests that I just didn't get along with and even hung up on me. There's a guy that did that recently and... Then you have other people that are just so nice and so friendly and just, you know, this show isn't really huge, but they just come on here and they treat me with respect and they, they give us plenty of time and they just couldn't be more fucking awesome. And it's just amazing how you have those two opposite spectrums. You have on one side, you have, you know, you have some of these fucking assholes that are trying to use truth or conspiracy and stuff like that to make money. And they got goofy products they're trying to get people to buy and they're constantly trying to like crowdfund stuff and stuff like that and then and then you have people that are just you know they're just like the complete opposite where they're just giving and they're giving and they're giving and you can tell their stuff is legit you can tell they're really good people and they're honest and their their stuff has that substance you know they can sit down 
and and do a one two hour interview and you just walk away you're like whoa man that person is amazing they've done some good research they're really smart and that's that's the type of feeling that i think the listeners of this show are addicted to like i when i try to branch out and do stuff that's not mind-blowing mind-blowing it just doesn't really seem to vibe with the listeners like people want that mind-blowing shit they want the fringe they want to explore the unknown they want the hair on the back of their neck to stand up and if they don't get that it doesn't feel like the same so that's end of days radio i mean it's the fucking end of days but that's what we're all about. We're all about that great mystery. And we like to be a little bit different than the other shows out there. Even though more and more of them like are just biting my style. A lot of people a lot of people out there kind of bite my style. And there's there's ways that you can do it. I mean, if you're just copying directly, that's pretty lame. But if you know you're doing things your own way, then power to you. That's fucking awesome. I couldn't ask for anything better. You know, if if you are inspired by this show to create your own or do your own research. That's what I'm all about. I want people to do their own research. I'm tired of all the dummies out there, all the sheep that just believe whatever crap they're told in school and they, you know, they go out and they work their shitty jobs and they, you know, try to raise their families and try to find some kind of meaning and they can never find it. I'm not about that. I'm not about the cookie cutter life. I'm about the real shit, man. Can you imagine if I had like three kids? You think I'd be here doing the show? No. The, the reason why I'm able to do this for you is because I don't got no chilling. I don't have any children. If I had kids, I would not be doing this. Even if I had one kid, my priority would be the fucking kid. But I've got nothing. So I can devote my time to... Something like this. At the end of the day, is it as fulfilling as having a legacy and having children? Probably not. But is it my own life and my own fucking path and something original? Yeah, hell yeah. I'm doing something different besides changing diapers. I'm changing the world, man, with this Bigfoot talk. Just don't ever like beat yourself up because you're not married or you don't have children or anything like that. Just be like, damn, save me that money. Save me that time. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to go wherever the hell I want to right now. And if you do have kids, then that's awesome too. You can raise your children to be true end of days warriors. Starting now, you can teach them martial arts and teach them to use their psychic abilities and get ready for the great battles of Gog and Magog and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, show off my Undertaker shirt a little bit more. Yeah, the dead man. The Undertaker. <sighs> Fuck, I love wrestling. I don't like to talk about it on the show too much because fucking people hate it. But I love football and I love wrestling. I, st I still love MMA even though it's become fucking lame now. Fuck. UFC fucking sucks nowadays. I'm sorry if that offends people, but it sucks. It sucks. Ever since that Reebok deal, like all the fighters are wearing the same thing. They can't get paid. They can't get sponsorship. Fighters keep getting injured. They create like 50 different interim belts. There's no stars because they don't want to create stars anymore. It's all about the brand. So unless John Jones or Conor McGregor is fighting, nobody gives a fuck. And now boxing is becoming more popular than UFC. And when that's happening, you know you have fucking problems because 
you know, MMA and UFC was set to take over from boxing and take over from pro wrestling. And just that's how it was looking for a while. It looked like MMA is going to replace all this other stuff, but that didn't really happen. You know, 10, 15 years went by and here we are. And MMA is, is going back to being like this niche sort of thing for fans that are into that sort of stuff. And you still have plenty of people that are into boxing. We still have plenty of people that are into wrestling and that's not going to change. MMA did not kill wrestling. It did not kill boxing. If they, if it was like the old days when you had stars like Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture and Fedor and Rampage and people like that, I would still be into MMA. It's, it was fucking exciting when it was good. It was good. The golden age. I even had a whole fucking MMA forum with thousands of people and, I knew everything about it. I talk about it every day, but it's been 15 fucking years. And, you know, I want to watch some football. I want to talk some paranormal and do some other stuff. It's like, fights, 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 fights. It gets old. It does. You get you can get burnt out on anything, even people fist fighting. <laughs> like, you know, when you've seen the millionth knockout and you've seen blood for the millionth time, it doesn't shock you anymore. And you know all the moves and you know all the strategies and it starts to bore you. You know, even the exciting stuff. I mean, it'll always have a place in my life. I'll always enjoy it. I'll always follow it. But no, I'm not obsessed with MMA anymore. And I think a lot. I think society is going that same route because it just doesn't have the buzz that it used to. It doesn't. I'm sorry, but like that whole uh, Conor McGregor versus Mayweather thing. Like, come on, that was a joke. That might have even been a fixed fight. I don't know. It looked like it, he might have thrown it in the later rounds. I don't know, but it, it goes to show you that the normal thing isn't doing it for us anymore, and we got to do this crazy like crossover shit to even be interested, whereas before we just wanted to see some cage fights. And I could go on and on about why things are the way they are, but I'm not going to bore you to death. <laughs> but like I said, I am going to start talking about more other shit on this show. You know, we started off by talking about like world news and politics and stuff like that. But it, you know, what are you going to look for like paranormal stories every day and talk about the fucking penis fish that washed up on shore? There's other stuff going out on going on in the world. So, um, you know, it's, it, one thing I do want to make sure I do though is I don't want to alienate all the women out there because you start talking about like, you know, rap and. MMA and fucking wrestling and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you're going to lose certain people. That's how it was when I was really into MMA. It was like all guys. It's like a big sausage party. Cause, cause you just, it's just guys into it. And then you have like the token female. Otherwise it's almost all guys. And when you got, had a, you know, Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate and all them coming around, you did see a lot more women get into it, but it was still just all dudes. Like, who wants to live in that world forever? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's all fucking guys. Yeah, let's take our shirts off and fight. <laughs> it's a little gay. <laughs> Sorry, I know that's going to enrage people. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, Like I said, I love uh, martial arts and fighting. <clears throat> Dragon Ball. You know I'm about that Dragon Ball. How many of you are, out, are following the uh, Dragon Ball Super Manga? They announced they're going to make a One Piece movie. So those of you that like One Piece, they're going to try turning it into an actual live action thing. 
I don't know how they're going to turn an anime with all kinds of special effects and fighting and stuff like that into a fucking live action thing. But, you know, why not? It's just more of what we like, right? And, uh, you know, speaking of Netflix, I'm not going to go on too much longer. I'm already tired chugging this fucking thing. Makes me talk like a motor mouth, but I want to sit here and fucking forever. I got to go do other stuff. Got to go feed my fish, clean my hamster cage, change the strings on my guitar, polish my shoes, shave my head. Fuck, I'm busy. Um, fuck, I forgot what I was even going to talk about. Well, you know what? I think I'm done here. That was a fantastic show. Linda Godfrey was excellent. The Call from Allah was excellent. And I think we've covered pretty much everything that we want to cover. Yeah, I could complain and whine and freak out, but I can do that on the next show. And that is actually going to be this Saturday. So today is Wednesday, and we already have another fucking show on Saturday. So do not fret. Do not fret at all for... It will be okay. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the schedule. There's a lot lined up. We got Thomas from Alpha Mega Energy on the first. Let's hope that show doesn't get me killed. And then on the following week, we have C Murph. That's the dude with the, who's being stalked by UFOs, getting fucking harassed by some fucking triangle craft drones. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of this one. Uh, Rachel Tobias coming on on the 14th she's a up-and-coming uh female comedian and she's also into the uh conspiracy stuff so looking forward to that something way different you know i'm trying to get more women on this show because it's i i hate the sausage party shit i'm tired of it you know we got to have that balance here otherwise otherwise the show's gonna suck it's gonna be too much like aggressive you know toxic masculinity I'm I'm very toxic masculinity. I am. I'm like I'm fucking toxic. Stay the fuck away from me, people. I'm a train wreck. I'm gonna ruin your life vicariously. I, I'm gonna ruin your life through osmosis. You can just fucking stand next to me, and you're gonna you're gonna suck up some of my fucking cancer. You'll you'll smell it because I'll just fucking rip a fatty right next to you. You'll be like, oh shit, this guy's dangerous. Anybody that can create a smell like that. But anyways, enough of this. So on Valentine's Day, we're going to have Rachel Tobias on. That's the 14th. And then on the 22nd, oh my God. Oh, another female. They do exist. They do exist. Oh my God. We're going to have Montana Jordan on. That's going to be cool. And we just have Linda Godfrey on, so we're going to have... That's like almost three females in a row. And then on the 29th of February, we'll be talking to Brian Regal, who wrote some interesting books about mythical creatures. He's going to talk to us about the Jersey Devil. Some very interesting stuff. I'm excited. But I'm going to go because I want to. It's been almost three hours. The shows are getting longer again, which means that I'm starting to run my mouth and probably be annoying, but it's all good because I get better and better. You guys remember when I first started doing the show and I couldn't talk? 
And now I'm fucking annoying. Oh, man. You got to love progress. Anyways, I will talk to you guys next time. Grab the octopus. Get that back up on the screen. Good night, everybody. Go to endofdaysradio.com. This is Daniel signing off from the broken ruins of Babylon. <laughs> endofdaysradio.com. <laughs>